thinking, uh, I think he's thinking Columbus was had the Mayflower. Columbus was, uh, he was the one who hit the islands in 1492. I think he was getting confused. I think he thought Columbus and the Mayflower were the same journey. I think that's where he was getting mixed up. Yeah, we, well, we were talking about explorers all over the place, yeah. We, we decided that. Um, but as far as your question goes, the Pilgrims landed in Plymouth, Massachusetts. All right. Actually, they landed in Providence. Plymouth Rock, if you want to call it that. Plymouth Rock. Okay, what was the Plymouth Colony? That was what they established. That was the settlement they established. Done good, done good, Fred. Matter of fact, there is a living history museum there today. Really? In the general area, yeah, it's fascinating. You go there and it's it's, it's living history. These people all uh, take out a character of somebody in that village and they replay a whole year. Fun stuff. I'm a wedding. They do Thanksgiving, which I would love to do. Uh huh. Yep. Pretty exciting. Interesting. You want a trick question? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, we've, we've got this, uh, the Plymouth Colony. You get credit for the Plymouth Colony. Um, if, if you've got, if you don't get the answer right, I'm not going to give out the correct answer. I'm going to let somebody else call in. What year did the Pilgrims celebrate their first Thanksgiving? Oh, God. <laughs> no, he didn't have it. <laughs> uh, well, it would have to, that's if when they landed, because it was like... It was like the second or third year after they landed. Well, that that's not the year. Yeah, I know. I can't remember what year they landed, though. That's yeah, horrible. One shot at this, Fred, just. Uh, I'm going to take a shot. Um, 1655. Cross it off. Deep. Okay. That was your shot. Okay. okay. So you got the Plymouth Colony, though. Oh, yeah. Get, I never was good on dates. Get a point for that one. <laughs> Too much memorization. So, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I figured I'd, I'd call at least with that. So. I, I owe you some CDs, so we might as well add another one to it. Okay. I mean, do you want me to choose, or are you in the market for telling me what you'd like? Well, if you tell me, well, I don't know. I think you'd tell me everything. Oh, no, 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 no. We didn't um, do everything. Have her send you all the basketball shows she's got. Hey, what? There you go. Yeah, you go. All the basketball shows you have. Basketball? Yeah. yeah. I don't have any basketball shows. <laughs> what about Olympic, oh, coverage of the Olympic Games? <laughs> Oh, let me think. You guys are ganging up on me. Um. Heroicers. Okay, what about the, uh. Oh, wasn't there a series, like a mystery series about a train? What the hell was that yeah. called? Uh, Mysterious. Oh, the, um, Mysterious. Mystery on the Orient Express? That, uh, called Mysterious Traveler. Yeah, that's it. Oh, Mysterious Traveler, I can do that. I'll take some of those. Okay. All right, you can have them. I do not have any basketball. Boy, you two basketball. are brutal. I know. I know. I thought, uh, she, I thought she could go hunting for him. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Is there such a thing? A no, second thing. We were just making things up. Oh, Walden. 
My heart is broken. I know, but basketball shows. You two get together, and I am just, you know, it's like monkey in the middle. Uh, I know. Do you really show us on how to sell squirrels on eBay? <laughs> <laughs> Say what? <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say about eBay? I just said, is there any shows on how to sell squirrels on eBay? No shows about squirrels. I don't have any squirrels. <laughs> Um, we've got, I don't know, Rocket J Squirrel, but they were, they were television. They, they weren't this. radio. That's the whole collection of us. Yeah. Oh, I love um, that. Um, you me all that. got all the westerns I could possibly want. Uh, I'll get in the I don't know, give me some Bob Hope specials. Bob Hope specials. Didn't I send you Bob Hope? Oh, maybe you did. But you sent me so much. You, you asked for, I'm sure it was you, you asked for... Bob Hope at the military bases. Yeah, you're probably right. It was me. Well, I see. You know, when when you send me on a foray, those are the things I remember, Fred. You and Walden are brutal. That's what no holiday specials. Mysterious traveler. Live you can holiday specials. There you go. Holiday special. That'd be Normal. good. Yeah, live holiday special. Live holiday special, Patricia. Who? You. Yeah, where? Yeah. You know, like, during the day, there was some, like, that's what, that's what for whom? What shows? Oh, God, I don't know. Like any, any, any holiday specials? Yeah, holiday specials. Well, for heaven's sakes, I've got holiday shows. I've got oodles of holiday shows, but when well, you think specials, it, it, what I do you mean specials? Like the Elgin Thanksgiving show, the Elgin Christmas show, the command, the command performance show, uh, Christmas on the front, yeah. things like that. Don't have them. He's, Walden? Yes. Hush up. He's getting mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I don't have until July 30th to thank um, oh, these shows. I'll start working on them now, and by next Christmas, Fred, when we talk and you say, I want Christmas shows that were specials, I can say, ah, Fred, I've got every single one that was ever made. <laughs> Okay. Uh, For now, you can have Mysterious Traveler, and I'll try to find a Christmas show that relates to Mysterious Traveler. You'll get it. Oh, any, any specials at, at, at Christmas? I got, cause you sent me a whole bunch of Christmas one time, too. See, I've been so good to you, Fred. I know. I'm telling you. You sent me. I don't you. know what else to ask for. And is that why you're sending me into the caverns and the catacombs looking for shows that some of don't that don't even exist? I gotta come up with something. <laughs> you're doing a fine job. <laughs> you are doing a fine job. Okay, mysterious traveler it is. Okay. For now. Okay. Good. All right. That worked. Okay. So what did you do at Thanksgiving? What kind of food did you have? What did what kind of Thanksgiving dinners did you have? Did you have family? Oh, yeah, I did. Uh, matter of fact, this, I don't know what I'm going to do this year. It won't be my first year by myself. I don't know. I had a friend who invited me. Um, I have been going to my brother's and his wife in the past, but they split up this year. Oh, gee. And I don't know what he's doing, if he's doing anything. He's not in a really good space right now. So I don't know what I'm going to do this year. Um, but growing up, my mom always had a. We, we, my mom always threw a big dinner, and I loved it. What did you have? Oh, uh, well, all the typical, traditional 
Thanksgiving dinner, turkey, potato, two or three kinds of squash, cranberry sauce, usually some corn, um, stuffing, pies for dessert. My dad would make the pies. What kind? Uh, usually pumpkin and apple. The baker, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was a baker. Homemade rolls. We always had homemade rolls for Thanksgiving. Uh, I love it. I, I love to eat, so. <laughs> it's a great holiday. I interrupted you. What kind of pies? P pumpkin and apple, usually. Did he ever bring home a mincemeat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. I'm not a pie eater. I'll eat a fresh apple pie, but I'm not, I'd rather have a cake. You never but, had a cake on Thanksgiving? No, he always made pies. I was wanting a cake, but he wouldn't do it. So no, Thanksgiving, you have pies. You poor kid, you were so deprived. Yeah, so I had to settle for apple pie. Poor kid. Horrible. Poor kid. That was horrible. But I can remember, the best part of Thanksgiving is going back in, Laying down on the couch or falling asleep watching football. Why doesn't that surprise me? It's great. Yeah, lay down on the couch and pass out if it's something in the turkey. That's a myth I heard. I've heard that the here's a question for you. Maybe one of the callers can answer it. I've heard that there's some kind of chemical in the turkey that makes you tired. That was that it's a myth. No, I don't know that it's a myth. There's something in milk. Um, melatonin happens naturally in the body, but I don't think it's the substance that's in milk. And turkey, I have heard that before. You're right. Both ways, though. I'm, so I'm kind of curious. Yeah. I've been told that there's a fact. I've also been told, no, that's, that's not true. Well, <laughs> I can check the Internet. You know the Internet is always true. Always true, yes. <laughs> Sleep. Okay, let's see. Turkey, sleep chemical. There you go. Is there something in turkey that makes you sleepy? Let's see what the answers are. <laughs> turkey does have the makings of natural sedative in it, and amino, oh, tryptophan, of course. Tryptophan is, um, uh, is something that people take like melatonin to help them fall asleep. It's tryptophan okay. that's in milk as well. Okay. It's an amino acid. How about that? I didn't know it was in turkey. I had heard that turkey... Um, had you know that that turkey was a soothing food, but um, it's tryptophan, and tryptophan is the substance that's in milk as well. Why people tell you, oh, have a glass of milk. Oh, that's you go to bed. Oh. But oh. yeah, so I'm always, always, always after getting done eating, I'm, I'm usually within a half hour of eating my Thanksgiving meal, I'm sleeping. Well, you know, it helps that your blood sugar is probably 742 because we eat so much. Uh, that'll make you sleepy as well. But, yes, thank you for bringing that up. That's a great trivia for next year. What's the substance in turkey that makes you sleepy? There you go. That's a great and I look forward to the auction. So. Oh, super. And tomorrow is the preview. Bill yes. will go through the entire list of what is available so far for bidding. Well, I have another question I want to throw out to the listeners. Uh-huh. Um, hopefully the person out there is listening. I donated last year this really cool, I thought it was cool when I bought it. It was a, one of those role-playing dinner party mystery games. Yeah, I remember 
remember that. I remember I that. I remember Bill to... talking about that. Yeah. And you called in about it. Yeah. I remember well, that. My question is, I wonder who, I'm asking ask if whoever bought it did it. Ah. <laughs> this is that. I owned that game for 10 years and I never actually played it, played it or, or got a group of people together to, to do it. I wonder if whoever bought it actually threw a party and, and played the game. It sounds like fun. Yeah, I'd like to know how it came out if they did. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Okay. You have to call in next week and repeat the question, please? I will. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Mysterious Traveler, um, save the special requests until after Christmas. <laughs> yeah, you guys have a good week. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 714-545-2071. And, you know, he was talking like something like this. A full 90 minutes of Christmas Eve fun at Paul Whiteman's ABC Christmas Party. That's what Fred was talking about, stuff like That's that. That's fun, yes. And I really do have a bunch. They're just not collected into a single folder. Um, some of them are. Like, I've got, um, I, I have Jack Benny specials. And um, Fibber McGee and Molly didn't do Christmas specials in, in the true sense. They did Christmas shows, but not Christmas specials. Right. Um, Bob Hope did Christmas specials. I know, <laughs> I think Red Skelton had a couple. Yep. He, so, he, but they're, they're in their individual folders, so right. it really will take time for me to go through the folders and pluck the specials and put them, uh, you know, set them aside. So I do have some, but... I'm not going to look for them this week. <laughs> I have set my lips. <laughs> Do not cross the line in the sand while they use <laughs> basketball shows. You, I don't believe you said that. Well, I knew, I knew for the basketball show, I just threw it in there. Basketball. Why didn't you ask for soccer? I could have. Yes, you could have. Okay, here we are. We've got these questions out. What year did the Pilgrims celebrate their first Thanksgiving? I know that. Multiple choice. Potatoes were not served on the first Thanksgiving. That's, that's true. How, how do we know? Were we there? Well, I was. Weren't you? I thought there was you down at the end of the table. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> you were the one killing the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> you were having an undrawn turkey right. down on the other end. That's right. Okay, multiple choice. Potatoes were not served at the first Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Why were they not served? First, at possible, they were not introduced to this country until the 1800s, or people thought they were poisonous. One or the other is the correct answer. If you don't like either one, you can, get, you can nominate a third, but that's okay. <laughs> sure, you can throw in a third. <laughs> Um, that would be fine. Now, here's one that is really interesting, I think. Which state claims to have had the first Thanksgiving Day? That's first good, official Thanksgiving Day. That's a good one. Which state? And... You got a one out we talked about We talked about this one before. Which year did we celebrate two Thanksgivings? Mm -hmm. And that was in 1939. Uh, Which was kind of fun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, those four calendar makers having Thanksgiving hopping all over the place. Oh, I bet there were some people who celebrated both. Oh, there were. Yeah. Uh, there, there had to have been. You know, you get um, 
It's it's one way to solve the, well, where are we going to go for Thanksgiving, her Uh place or ours? (laughs) Having (laughs) the husband and the wife said, you know, we go there for this year and we go there for that year. So if you had two Thanksgivings, you didn't have a problem. You didn't have a problem. Go to the wife's family first and the husband's family on the second one. That's pretty cool. Not bad. This is good. I like this. Why didn't they have potatoes at um, the Thanksgiving dinner in the Pilgrims' uh, Thanksgiving? And which state claims to have had the first Thanksgiving day? 714-545-2071. Very nice. Good day. I got some, some information. Are you there? Sure. I don't know. You just, you know, I get kind of nervous when I don't hear anything on the other end. So if I don't say anything, should I just, that way you know I'm here? <laughs> I just squeak or something. Squeak. Okay. Yeah, okay. You can, you can do squeaks. All okay. Right. So let me see what I've got up here. I've got a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Thanksgiving dinner, 1949. Oh, we've got food. What people did um, at food. Oh, recipes. And there was something else, um, Truman Proclamation. President Truman, now this is interesting. In 1949, President Truman issued a proclamation about which day would be Thanksgiving. But President Roosevelt had already established it as the fourth Thursday. So what do you think? I'm lost. I'm lost, too. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know why. I don't know why either. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he made a proclamation that it was going to be, um, and and it was for the following year. It was approved on December 26, 1941, to hereby proclaim that, oh, as as the resolution Mm -hmm. of December 26, 1941. That was the one for President Roosevelt for the following year. Now we're in... Um, he's making a proclamation for 1945 that Thursday, November 22nd, 1945 is a day of national Thanksgiving, which it was going to be anyway. Yeah, I, I think when they finally sh- surrendered, the Japanese surrendered and signed, you know, the sign of thing uh, September 2nd, I think they made a de- that a day of Thanksgiving too. Yeah. Well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, when I say maybe, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. This this one in particular, now this was done um, on the 12th day of November in the year 1,945, so uh, just before Thanksgiving, but it does begin in the year of our victory, absolute and final, over German fascism and Japanese militarism in this time of peace so long awaited. You know, his proclamations just went on for pages and pages and pages. I have never looked up other presidents. Did other presidents make proclamations that long? You don't hear about it. Um, This one was one of the shorter ones, and it's only probably eight paragraphs. (laughs) um, Let me see. Let's see. Word count how many words it is. Um, well, it's not too bad, about 450 words, but still, you know, it's the size of a short article. Um, anyway, he, he proclaimed that in 1945, November 22nd, 1945, would be Thanksgiving. So how about that? Hooray! Welcome to the end of the Second World War, I bet. Yeah, now let's see, what else do we have? The first Thanksgiving occurred when, da-da-da-da-da, okay, English colonists. Okay, 
Uh, all right, this is, um, we have to save that for the state that claims to have had the first Thanksgiving. 714-545-2071. And I've got some little tidbits of information. I've got lots of tidbits of information. What did I do with them? I've only got a couple <laughs> in front of me. Uh, let's see here. Just remind you, tomorrow at the preview at 8.30 Eastern, please tune in to Kim and Bill. And Kim will have the, the rest probably about the time when she goes on tomorrow night. So stay tuned for that for tomorrow. Ever so good. Yeah. Okay. I've got some information, November information. Now, during the week, I, I plucked a couple of things. Um... During the week, on November 14th, 1972, according to what I'm looking at here, doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but what I'm looking at here, on November 14th, 1972, the Dow Jones Industrial closed above 1,000 for the first time in history. Uh, I never knew that. I, I never thought it hit 1,000 until the 80s. I don't know. That's what it said. It mm. hit 1,003, and I pulled this out of the New York Times. So I don't know if that's correct. Well, so now I have to do more homework, right? No, 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 no. I guess, yeah, I do. I get. I. I, well, I don't. I don't want to give out incorrect information. Well, I just don't know about that one. On November 12th, or I'm sorry, on November 14th, Prince Charles turned 62. Yeah, considering his son just got engaged here. It was, it was a big week in the kingdom this mm -hmm, week. Yeah. Um, yes, Prince William mm -hmm. got engaged. Mm -hmm. And on November 20th, which is today, Princess Elizabeth married Philip Mountbatten, yeah. Duke of Edinburgh, at Westminster Abbey in London, and that was in 1947. So they've got an anniversary. Prince Charles had a birthday. Yeah. And an engagement was announced, so it was a big deal in the deal. royal family for this week. Did you have, have you ever looked up how much it costs England to keep the royal family in ships every year? Oh gosh, I um I read that. Do you know what the answer is? Yeah, I, I do. I I read it a couple of years ago. I think it was three million dollars. I've heard ten. I believe it. Yeah. Ten million bucks. I, I believe that. Uh, by the time you finish with the guards and the pomp and circumstance and upkeep of the castles, and because um, the family is growing too. Well, and they probably look at it as a good way to get tourists to come over and see all the pomp mm -hmm. and pageantry and all no, that. No, a monarchy stuff. is a monarchy is a monarchy. Yeah, it I will know. forever be a monarchy. Um, I think. Anyway, so huh. okay, I have Walden's question. All right. Are you going to give the right question out this week? Yes, I promise I will. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just, you know, I, I have apologized. I'll, I'll apologize again. I gave Walden a question that was impossible to answer last week because I asked him what Pat Novak's nickname was. Pat Novak doesn't have a nickname. It was Jeff Reagan. Both of them are Jack Webb shows. Both of them are detectives. One was a sequence of the other one because they moved to a new network and couldn't bring the show with them. So they started the second one, and I didn't look up which one came first. But um, it was Jeff Reagan who was the lion's eye, and I said it was Pat Novak. So he gets credit for, for last week. 
bless his heart, when I talked to him yesterday and told him that, he said, well, he thought I asked about Jeff Reagan, so it was okay. Yep. It wasn't okay it because is. I didn't. I asked about Pat Novak. It's so, okay. okay. It's you ready okay. for your question? It's okay by me. No, you're so easy to get along with. I wish you'd jump up and down and wave your arms once in a while. Um, are you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. Last night, when I told Walden I hadn't found his trivia question yet, he offhandedly said, I'll go to page 698 in Gunning's book. So what did I do, Walden? You went to page 698. I went to page 698, and here's your question. <laughs> I got one from page 698. The question is, which show featured the characters named Dwight 26er and Bluetooth Johnson? Uh, okay. I got it down to two choices, but I'm going to go with my second choice. Which is? Vic and Sade. All right. Gee whiz, we have never talked about Vic and Sade. I didn't know if you would know that. Now, do you know who played them? Well, during the 15-minute run, nobody, because they were just names that threw out as conversation pieces. Uh Um, When they had a half-hour show, I don't know if they even used those characters or not. Well, according to Dunning, they did. Uh, Dwight 26er was played by an actor named Cliff Soubier. Okay. And I looked up some... I had never heard of him before. That's a new one on me. I looked up some information, and I'll give you some information okay. about him, because he, he did have a fair number of roles along the way, not okay. nearly to the extent that you would expect of, um, of an old-time radio actor. But uh, but there were some, but it was always, a, you know, kind of a secondary or a thirdary character. So he was not well known by any means. However, Bluetooth Johnson was played by Leonard Smith. Right, that's who I was going to nominate. Yep. Who Leonard been? Smith, who was uh, Stretch uh, or Stretch Snodgrass from Our Miss Brooks. Correct. So that was pretty good. So boy, you get you get good credit for that one. <laughs> I made up for missing last week. <laughs> right. Um, I should get punished in some way. Do, are you familiar with the show Meet the Meeks? Um, I, I, it's not in Dunning. Yeah, uh, I, I've heard some, I think it was Ray, the movie actor, uh, played it. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Hello, this is Rich from Jersey. How are you? I'm fine, Rich. How are you doing? Oh, Rich. Doing great. Doing. Yeah. doing great. And how's the Florida writer? Oh, the Florida writer is fine. Happy Thanksgiving, almost. Thank you. Giving to both of you. Just a quick note. Uh, you heard the Pat Novak question last week. Huh? And I was wondering why you didn't pick up on his had a nickname from uh, his friend Jocko, who always calls him Lover. Oh, that's right. He does. I I had not even thought about that. I didn't consider that a nickname. Um, but you're right. Jocko always calls him a lover. Yeah, which is yeah. pretty racy for it. Patsy. He calls him Patsy, too. Yeah, but it's it's lover. <laughs> it's, it's a funny and silly thing to hear from a man to another man in that time frame. That's right. But I think he was referring to, and this is an I think, I think he was referring to... Um, Pat Novak's propensity for finding women, as most of the all-time detectives did. 
So I, I think that's what he was referring to. He wasn't, it wasn't a term of endearment between the well, two was, of them. I think it was... Um, the way he'd say it. Yeah. It was, it was very much, uh, you know, okay, lover, you know, huh? looking down his nose at him just a little bit. Yes, right. Okay, lover. And, of course, he called him Patsy. Absolutely. Uh, he was drunk all the time. Exactly. Um, he always came up with answers. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, well, I've got an email address that I use. It's from the Gene Shepard stories of a fellow named Ludlow Kissel, who's a notorious drunk. I've always had great reverence for such people. Uh, not being able to hold liquor myself, I have to uh, live vicariously through those people. Now, is this a character or a real person? Uh, Lud Kissel was a Gene Shepard character. He lived... Oh, oh, okay, you said that. I'm sorry, I didn't make the connection. Shepard's stories, he was the next door neighbor who worked in the roundhouse, that's where they serviced train engines, and mm -hmm. uh, he'd only get a couple days of work per month, the rest of the time he could be found at the Bluebird Tavern, <laughs> stories if you ever get a chance to read Shepard. Anyway, i got to get back to work, I'm working on invoicing right now, <laughs> so I'm going to go back to work, but I wish you all a great Thanksgiving. You too, Rich. It is great. Um, Rich, do you want a Thanksgiving question? No, because I'd probably know the answer, and, and then you'd say, darn, he's smart, and I wouldn't want to ruin it for anybody else. <laughs> I promise not to say that. Yes, but I, I, I wouldn't want it to come out. And, and there's always the remote possibility that I might not know, in which case I'd feel like a complete dunce in front of thousands of people. You are too funny. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Um, I hope you invoice for a squillion dollars, and happy Thanksgiving. Well, thank you to that. And uh, just a quick note, you're getting an email of a newspaper article that I just created. Uh, I think you'll get a chuckle out of it. Super. Thank you. Just for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. You have a great night. Okay, kids. Be well. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. And you can give us a call, too, at 714-545-2071. We keep people awake, people who are walking by our side. You know, we're here. We're the voice that runs around your computer. Yes, right? we are. Yeah. Okay. So meet the meeks. Yes. Um, I I've heard some, I, I, and I was sent some. Uh, friend Don Richard had some, and I heard, I listened to, I think, one or two of them. Well, your mission then, when you can come up for air one of these years, mm -hmm. is to find one of the shows and let me hear it. Okay. I have no idea where to look for these things. I've never heard of it. It's, it's only two, it had a two-year run, 1947 to 1949, and that's all I know about it. It, it, was, it was a comedy. I, and it, in, when you have Meet the Meeks, it's like Vic and Sade and yeah. um, Easy Aces, so it, I assumed it was probably a comedy. Yeah, it was a, family, it was like a situational family comedy. I think, I think it was based out of Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, that's, what, that's what sticks with me. From that show. But when I get my hands on an upgraded copy, I'll make sure you get them. Well, that is very cool. So this, this poor man, Cliff Soubier, yeah. and I, um, I'm hoping that I pronounce his name correctly. It's got a French spelling, S-O-U-B-I-E-R. So I'm saying Soubier, which could be why he isn't recognizable, because I'm mispronouncing his name. But he was Sky King's foreman on the Sky King radio show, uh -huh. which uh, lasted until 1954, 46 to 54. It didn't say how many times he appeared or how many of those years he was in, 
But in 1942, he was Henry in the radio serial drama Lonely Women. That's not something I recognize. Right. It was out of Chicago. Right. Did, uh, Lonely Women, is that a soap that you remember? Nope. That's a new one on me. Okay. In 1940, he was Wumple, Skeezik's boss in Gasoline Alley. Okay. was the show that was based on a comic strip. So, I mean, these are really background roles that he was playing. Right. 1940, he was Henry Newman in Lone Journey, which was a show out of Chicago mm -hmm. again. And ran uh, 12 years. The thing ran 12 years. I never wow. heard of it. No, I haven't either. Henry Newman. All right. He was Herman Branch on a radio serial drama named Bud Barton, which was also known as Those Bartons or the Barton Family. Mm -hmm. I never heard of that one. Um, it, it's no wonder this poor man doesn't have a <laughs> front page name here. He played the roles of Mr. Tiller and Mr. Gorham in Dan Harding's Wife. I don't know that one. He played Dr. David McKenzie in a radio serial drama, Arnold Grimm's Daughter. Correct. I've heard of that one. You did hear of that one. Yeah. That one debuted in 1937, but I don't know how long it ran. Mm -hmm. So he was in that one. And he was Thurston the Magician. Okay. This is yep. good. Yeah. It was one of the Sinclair Minstrel Men on the musical show, the Sinclair Minstrel Show. Okay. And he appeared in a radio drama called First Nighters. We know First Nighters. Yep. You know, you know what he'd be classified as? There's a loving term in radio. Um, and a, a character actor named Bob Booth titled his book after it. It's what they call people who never had a starring role uh -huh. or never was a supporting actor. What, yeah. what, what the terminology they, they use for these types of actors? Well, it, it must have been something more endearing than bit. He was more than a bit actor. Right. What was, what was the term? And Bob Bruce, uh, Tyler Hip book, when he wrote it, it called The Third Banana. The Third Banana, yes. as opposed to The Second uh -huh. Banana. How charming. Yes. So, these were, so I would classify Cliff as a third banana. My goodness, this poor guy, I mean, he was so obscure, he might have even been a fourth banana. Could have been, but he probably may have me at it. You know, um, huh? you know, it's interesting to think about it. Chicago was the hub where a lot of daytime programming came out of. You know, we didn't have as many daytime programming coming out of Hollywood, pretty much with Chicago and New York during that 30s and 40s. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of opportunity for people to work a lot of shows. And a lot of those, you know, we don't have a lot of recordings out of Chicago. So that's well, probably He must have one. been based in Chicago because almost all of the shows he was in came out of Chicago. Right, right. So I guess... And, and Vic and Sade was based... They were local and regional shows? Uh-huh. And Vic and Sade was a Chicago-based show mainly, so... Uh so... Well, that's probably where he just parked his little body and stayed. You know what, Patricia? I think... One thing you would love about Vic and Sade, that they never celebrate the holidays in season. They don't celebrate the holidays in, in season. season. They and do it out of season, like uh -huh. why they'll celebrate Thanksgiving. And uh -huh. Yes, for example, if you ever go through the Vic and Sade lot, you know to have a Christmas card show in March. Oh, yes. <laughs> 
that's the one cute thing about Vic and Shay. You never know. They might throw a holiday show completely out of season. Well, Ray in Chicago worked very hard to convince me to, to listen to a couple of the Vic and Sade shows. Mm-hmm. And I think after a while, it would be easy to get used to. It's like easy aces. Yeah. You listen to one or two of those shows and, and your teeth hurt. But when you get into the swing and realize that this is her personality, it's not just a put on for a single show. Right. I think Vic and Sade are probably the same way with their unusual characters and their family situations that happen. But it was Ray in Chicago who... Who convinced me that I should and, listen to and, a couple of those shows? And, 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 Ray, I did. It's an acquired taste. I, I, I have a lot of them now lately. I haven't listened to a lot of them yet. But it's an acquired taste. But it was one of those shows that people in the industry adored. Mm-hmm. For example, Colleen Morris would stop his practices to listen to Vic and Sade. But that's I, interesting. Norman Corwin is a big fan of Vic and Sade. Stan Freeberg, in fact. Norman Corwin, Stan Freeberg, Ray Bradbury, for many years, once a month, would get together at each of their houses to sit around and listen to Vic and Say shows, one tonight, once a month. I love it. Yeah. So it's one of those types of shows that the giants of the industry adored. And they just thought Paul Reimer, since the humor, was, like, off the wall. Mm-hmm. I do have some information, or an interview, perhaps, um, I, it was not an interview with Reimer. It was an interview with Paul Reimer's widow right. and a couple of the actors who performed in Vic and Sade. And it's a one hour, it's at least an hour. It might be even longer than that. So if there's any Vic and Sade fan out there who would like the interview, and it's fun. It's a fun interview because they talk about the characters. They talk about writing. They talk about performing and how the characters got together and the laughter that went on before they had to control themselves in order to put together this show. Billy Eilson, who wrote many books lately and probably passed away on Vic and Sade, went back and read all the scripts and wrote a book. And came home when he did interviews, he always took a sample of the script. Mm-hmm. And one script that he always had enacted, um, I'll ask you, Patricia, how do you measure what... what uh, size of long johns you should order. <laughs> oh my gosh, I I have no idea. No, oh, so there was a company called Vic and Sade that you can make sure you get your long john two ways. One by taking a bath and setting in the and setting in the bath, put a marking water water, then step in, and then how high just to mark it and say the measurements into the uh, into what, displacement. Yeah. Or, or fill the bathtub to the top, uh, get into the bathtub, catch all the water that flows out, and send that to the uh, to the company. And that's how they can take the measurement for your long shots. That is incredible. <laughs> Did they do this on the air? Yeah. At one of the stints that uh, they no, did on they, the air? I guess they would just, they just read it out. Oh, well, I guess this is how, you know, uh, Rush Friend, this is how he takes his, his ordering of his long johns. This was one of the scripts that he read. Uh huh. That's a hoot. Yeah. That is a hoot. Yeah. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one is our number. You want to talk about radio? That'd be great. You want to talk about Thanksgiving? You want to get called to say hi? You want to call and say, "See, I got a short week this week." You know? 
That's right. Yeah. It is a short week for a lot of people. Yeah. And if you don't like the Thanksgiving questions, the trivia questions, I have loads of others. But let's talk about what year did the pilgrims celebrate their first Thanksgiving? They didn't serve potatoes. This is multiple choice. Did they not serve potatoes because there were no potatoes? They didn't get to this country until the 1800s? Or they were thought to be poisonous? Why didn't they eat one of those two is correct? And we've got, um, oh, here's the one that Walden says, pick me, pick me, pick me. Pick Name me. Just one president, just one president who could claim to have Mayflower ancestry. Ancestors came over on the Mayflower, or an ancestor or more than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, which? I don't think I know that. I, I have to think about that one, probably. You serious? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's see. There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight presidents. Wow, that's pretty good. That's a lot. I was really surprised. That's a pretty so good. So eight presidents can claim that they had ancestors or an ancestor who came over on the Mayflower. And if you can tell me which one of my ancestors was on the Mayflower, that would be good, too. Yeah. It, it was the governor or the mayor. That's right. The governor. Governor, mm-hmm. yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. And if I had paid attention in my history reading, I would have been able to tell you the name, because all of these names, like Peter Zinger and <laughs> and the movable type person, uh, um, I I don't remember who that was, and it's a name I should remember. Okay, which state claims to have had the first Thanksgiving Day? And they've got some pretty sturdy documentation for it. Good, good. And then we've got regular stuff, too. So, 714-545-2071. And I've got, oh, really good stuff. Okay, here's a good one. Here's a good one. On November 25th, 1949, was a very special music chart entry. Uh Uh-huh. What was it? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came in. Yes, it was. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, 1949, Gene Autry. That's some really interesting stuff happened that year. (laughs) On January 20th, 1949, I'm picking on 1949 because that's when our Thanksgiving show is with Sibber McGee and Molly tonight. January 20th, when Truman was inaugurated as President of the United States. Okay, we can have that one. Okay. It's also the day, <laughs> this one just cracked me up, it's also the day that J. Edgar Hoover gave Shirley Temple a tear gas fountain pen. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a hoot? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, uh, on June 3rd, 1949, Dragnet premiered on NBC Radio. Very good. Um, one of my favorite shows started in 1949. My favorite show? One of mine. Walden's favorite detective shows. What was? Richard Diamond. Is that, I didn't know that. I knew you liked it. I didn't realize that was one of your favorites. One of my favorite detective shows, yeah. Boy, oh boy, one I've been my... hanging around with you for almost a whole year, and I, I know. didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, now here's something that's really interesting, and I don't know what they're talking about. Also, Johnny Dollar started in 49. Did he? Mm-hmm. He didn't start earlier than that? Nope. Well, actually, they did the audition. Dick Powell did the audition December 7th of 48, but the show didn't start until 49. Well, I don't count auditions. I oh, mean, that's okay. that's nice to hear, and they're fun to hear, but 
if they didn't start the show, that's not fair. Okay, March 2nd, 1949. The first automatic streetlight started working in New Milford, Connecticut. Hmm. I don't know if they are talking about streetlights like they light up the road mm-hmm. or streetlight as in a stoplight. When you get to the streetlight, you turn left. You know one of those? Yeah. What do you think? I'm thinking that it's probably um, that there's nobody at a switch who has to turn on the streetlights at night. What do you think? I would think it's probably green, the green, light as the green, to a traffic yeah, light. yeah. The so green, the first automatic the, street light. Yeah. No, Milford. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. If they were time set, or um, it would be much too early for light sensors. Maybe Fed Squirrels went out there to turn them on and off. <laughs> they turn around to break the circuits <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, what else do we have here? Um, Arthur Godfrey and Friends, January 12, 1949, ah. premiered on CBS TV. Very Arthur good. Arthur Godfrey and his friends. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah, little Godfrey. Okay. Yeah. All right, now, 1949, inflation in the United States. What do you think? Mm, yep, 3%. According to the information I have... It was less than 1%. It was 0.95%. Wow. And in the United Kingdom, it was 2.6%. Wow. I thought it would have been higher than that. 1949, post-war, I I, I would have thought it was really climbing. 49, when Jack Benny switched from NBC to CBS, you know, the talent raid. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Average cost of a new house, 1949. $3,000. $7,450. Average wages per year were twenty nine fifty. Two thousand nine hundred fifty bucks. Wow. Every everything on the internet is. Minimum wage in nineteen forty nine. Thirty-five cents. Seventy-five cents an hour. Seventy-five. Wow. I was going to think that, but I thought I was too much. Yeah, I don't know what it was during the war years. I don't even know if we had minimum wage. And I shouldn't. I should have prefaced that. I don't even know that we had a minimum yeah. wage in, during the war, but there was an average wage, and it seems to me it was during the war something like thirty-five cents or forty cents an hour. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell? Well, I know a lot of people yeah. thought they were making thirty-five bucks a week. They were doing good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gee whiz. 1970, 35. If I was making 35 bucks a week now, I think I'd be doing pretty good. <laughs> Both of us. <laughs> okay. Bacon was 50 cents a pound. This is good. Do you know what a Dobbs hat is, D-O-B-B-S? I've never heard of it. I never did either. Maybe somebody can call in and help me with this. A Dobbs hat, I'm assuming it's a man's hat, was $8.50. Whatever it is, it was $8.50. Kellogg's Corn Flakes for a 13-ounce box was 13 cents. That's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Unemployment, 1949. During the Depression, mm-hmm. it was 25%, 24%, 25%, Correct. depending on, on um, 
the yeah. pages that you look at. But, yeah. it, you know, we, we were pretty close. It was 25%. Ten years later, in 1949, what was the unemployment rate? 3%. I beg your pardon? 3%. 3.8%. Very yeah. good. Oh. This class postage stamp, 1949. Three cents. Three cents. You're, yeah. doing, you're really good at this. Okay. Who won the World Series? The Yankees beat the Dodgers. Walden? Yes, my dear. How did you know that? Uh, I don't believe this. Well, you know, I know baseball pretty well, and and the Yankees and the Yankees started a streak. Uh, they beat the Dodgers in '47, and in '49 they won the five straight World Series, I think. Oh, no, no, they were in five different World Series in a row, and so I knew they beat the Dodgers in '49. I'm not going to ask you any more baseball questions. Thank you for telling me that you're really up on this. I asked you a, a, a World Series question one time before, and you knew the answer. I mean, it was just like you didn't even pretend. You just knew it. It wasn't like, oh, gee, Patricia, that's a good question. <laughs> just, wham, there's the answer. Okay. The first Emmy Awards. The first Emmy Awards were on January 25th, 1949. Probably uh, Uncle Milty, Milton Bill. It was for something called Pantomime Quiz. Never heard of Pantomime it. Pantomime Quiz Time. Huh, never heard of it, okay. Most popular television program. More pop, gotta be Uncle Milty. Well, Uncle Milty hosted his first telethon for the benefit of cancer research. Mm. That's interesting. And the first 45 RPM records were sold. Correct, yeah. 49. For RCA. That's when the RCA combination shows into the Screen Director's Playhouse that came out in 49. They really heavily advertised the, the, the 45 RPM records. You bet. Well, that, was, that was hot stuff, and it stayed hot stuff for a very long time. In okay, fact, now birthdays. Yeah. Birthdays. There are two birthdays. Bill Clinton was born August 19th, 1949. So he was in 1949. 49? I'm sorry. I thought, I, huh, I thought he was born in 46. Okay, that's good. I don't know. That's what it says, 49. Oh, I believe it. Okay. Oh, I have to go look now. See, I've got to mark all these things in blue. <laughs> Walden says, go do your homework, Patricia. Okay. Now, there was a listing in more than one place. It said on... November 26, 1949, Maggie Donnelly, bag lady, was born. She is identified as bag lady every place. I say every place. I found her name in three or four different places. November 26, 1949. I don't know her. You know her? I don't. You don't. Well, it took forever to find information about Maggie Donnelly. It was a documentary called Inside Story Bag Lady on British Broadcasting, BBC. And um, the, the synopsis is, it, it narrates the story of Maggie Donnelly, who has lived for the last 20 years on the streets of London. And it discovers the reasons why she entered this way of life when she was once a career social worker. So, I mean, what, what, an, what an unkind thing to do, just put up. Maggie Donnelly was born on November 26, 1949. Bag lady. And, you know, I mean, it really took a lot of looking for me. Yeah, that's sad. Uh, yeah. That, that information. And, yeah. I mean, it's so tragic. Yeah. So, it's kind of a kind of a downer, but, you know, she was listed in so many places. But here's the big one. Are you ready? Ready. 
Silly Putty was introduced in 1949. Oh, really? I didn't know it that early. Wow. No, it either, but that's wow. what it says. Wow, that's Putty. pretty good. You know, it was like the Smurfs. Yeah. The Smurfs came in, what did I say, 1983? 82 I, or 83? Like 35 years ago or something. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. a long time ago, but it was it was um, introduced in Belgium. And then it came over to the States. So it had a run over in Europe for a while before it came here, and that's why it sounded like they were here forever. So 714-545-2071. Back in 49, when the Johnson Wax came up with a new glow coat, glow coat product, you know, uh, waterproof glow coat oh. or some something like that. How interesting! Yeah, it was. It was uh, the first waterproof glow coat. You yeah. put it on your floor, and everything is waterproof, and yeah. wipe up spills, and yada 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 yada. No yada. rubbing or buffing. I don't know, but Harlow must have made a made a good thing saying no rubbing and buffing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what was surprising to me was that he was not. In, in in a strange way, typecast, because he was so strongly associated mm -hmm. with Johnson's Wax and Super McGee and Molly, and was actually incorporated into many of their shows. He was always, it, it was always part of the show. The ad in the middle of the show was always part of the show. And still he was able to do so many other shows, maybe he, the announcer, and not have people expect him to talk about Johnson's Wax. And, well, and I guess you want light and um, hmm, he did. Well, he did um, Amos and Andy. Truth of Consequences, Merit of Town. He, um, I think. Suspense. Suspense. suspense was yeah. That one? Yeah. Was one of the spooky ones. Not for, Whistler. Was it for, Whistler or Suspense? Suspense. Suspense. Frank said he did a, a big show once uh, every night of the week. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, well, he was so strongly identified with Johnson's Wax. He and Don didn't limit his career. He and Don Wilson and Ken Carpenter were so identified big time announcers they could didn't ha didn't they weren't locked down. In other words, uh, Don Wilson was associated with Jack Benny. He did other shows. Like sure. Baby Snook. Ken Carpenter was all associated with Bing Crosby. Did other shows. You know, Harold Wilcock with uh, Fibber McGee and Molly. So. Who was the announcer for the Great Gilded Sleeve? They had a, uh, they had, they never had one. Ken Carpenter did for about three years. They, uh, but he, then they did a, they had a roving door, kind of. There's not necessarily one associated, uh. And had an extraordinarily long run, too. Correct. Jay Stewart, who people might remember being the announcer for Let's Make a Deal, uh, was hmm. there for a while. So you had a lot of different announcers yeah. take over that Ken show. Carpenter, I remembered. Right. Um. That's, that's interesting. One Man's Family premiered on TV in 1949. That's uh, your show. Yeah, one of my shows, yeah. What happened on television? Did it bomb? It ran five years. No kidding. Yeah, ran five years. That's part of the reason why I called him in to move through the West Coast to New York. And they thought One Man Family were going to end on radio. And uh, Anthony Smythe, who played Father Barber, yes, hmm? yes, he went to bed. He thought his career was over, and he was, went to bed and didn't get up. And so when they thought the series were going to end in 49, and then uh, NBC called Carlton and said, you know, why don't you keep it going? So that, I mean, Anthony Smythe, when he heard that the show was going to be back on the air, he got out of bed and lived another, uh, you know, had another 10 more year run. Yeah. I mean, that's not funny when somebody... No. 
his his career yeah. as he had it is over and done with. I mean, that's the end of his life. Yep. And then went to went to a career in '69. That's why he went right back to bed. Oh wow. Yeah, he was so associated with that show. Yeah. Um, but no, that's. Also, part of the reason why, when Carlton went back to New York to put together One Man Family for TV, Mutual came to ask him to put Isle of a Mystery back on. So, mm-hmm. it was an important year for Carlton E. Morse. And how. Mm-hmm. Did he do all of the writing for the TV show? Yes. I think it basically was a recycled script from the, uh, from the beginning. I would hope so. So, I think he took the radio script and just adapted it for TV. Huh? I love it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to change phones. You start talking about the auction for a minute. All right. The USA auction is coming fast. The preview tomorrow, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. And, you know, if you're good, Patricia might give you a clue what she's made, you know? Oh. She's made a lot of right. goodies. And she might give you a sneak preview with some of the goodies she's made for the auction. But tomorrow, it's a preview. Starting at 5.30. Kim will have the list up sometime tomorrow. And the auction is a week from tomorrow. Starting at 4 o'clock Eastern. And we got to hit $4,000. And I guess Richard in Minnesota is going to help out to make sure we do. Depending on if all of us help out. So if you can help out by bidding on an item. Or donating an item. We would love it. Because it keeps Patricia, it gives Patricia something to do. <laughs> this, this radio career, if, she, if I would have told her seven years ago before she ever known, Patricia, seven, seven years ago, did you realize you were going to have so much work to do for an internet radio station? She would have said, you're nuts. You know? No, seven years ago, I would have said, you're nuts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I- no, I wouldn't have said you're nuts. I know. Said, you got to be kidding me. I, I don't know anything about old time radio. I know. I didn't. I know. I, you know, I was just starting to listen once in a while. I know. Seven years ago. And this station, um, keep me off the streets. Patricia. Goodness. You know, keep Patricia, give her something to do. Thank goodness. Yes. It gives Frank Proceed somewhere to go on Friday nights. You know? And mm-hmm. it's for us. It's, it's, a, it's a fun way to spend time together and have you spend time with us. So it, it, it's a social thing. It, be, it, it allows us to play old-time radio, get together and talk, and, and share good times and good memories. And so it's, it has a lot of value. And if it has any value, and if you can just donate a couple dollars, it doesn't have to be a lot. I'm talking like five, ten dollars if you have it. It will help the station out. And so, look at the list tomorrow night. Realize that Kim is going to be updating that list. She'll be updating it till next Saturday night. And I probably will get ahead up with her throughout the week. But the auction is what keeps us going around. And we should show you the help. Patricia, anything else you want to say about it? About the auction? Other than it's a lot of fun. How much fun is it, Patricia? It's a lot of fun. It's my second fun day, (laughs) or second funnest day of the year. The first funnest day. Because if you notice, I think Patricia always 
sets aside a little bit of a day to have a little fun. Every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. This is fun. Mm-hmm. This will hold me for the entire week. Aww. Oh, it will. Yeah, that's good. It will. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, gosh, I got loads of other stuff here. Well, the Truman Proclamation we already did. So, mm-hmm. what else have we got here? Harry Truman. Oh, we know mythical first things. You know, if anybody doesn't call, we might sneak in the show here a little bit too. Everybody, go. So, Patricia, I bet got some trivia questions relating to the show. So, if you don't like any of the trivia questions we put out, listen to the show and you might answer one or two or three. This is true. Yeah. Are yeah. you ready for the show? Is that what you're telling me? Nope. I'm just putting it on the table. <laughs> okay. Um, we can do that. Yeah. We can do that. Okay, well, look at that. I've got Christmas stuff up here already. Speaking of Christmas. Christmas time. Well, let's see here. What, what, we can always start by playing this show. Speaking of Christmas. By playing what show? This show. This show. This show. The makers of Campbell Soups present The Campbell Playhouse, Orson Welles, producer. I think that's one of the classic shows that holds up so well. In the world, Christmas Carol. Yes. Charles Dickens. Yes. And the one with the Campbell Playhouse is probably the premier presentation. Yes. I think it is anyway. It is. I mean, for many years, AM station, I don't think there's probably something today will play it Christmas Eve. It is good stuff. Now, Walden has been turned loose now, because we're talking about Thanksgiving. That's his automatic Christmas trigger. I've been thinking, actually, if I were going to play them all night after Bill and Kim sticking in a couple Christmas things, but I might wait, you know. You might wait? I might wait. I might. Okay. I might not. Okay. It depends what kind of mood I am. Okay. I might just play. Santa Claus, Indiana? I might just play Christmas at, at home. Yeah. Christmas, Santa Claus, Indiana? Santa Claus, Indiana. What's, what's Santa doing there? Well, that's the name of the town. Oh. Well, good. I mentioned this last week, and I'm confident we maybe, have people out there who weren't with us when I talked about it for one reason or another. Maybe Dan can go visit it and send us a postcard. <laughs> oh, Dan, if you're listening, give us a call. <laughs> Santa Claus, Indiana is a little town in Indiana. It's really the name of the town, and they celebrate Christmas in a big way. Every year, they have a contest with their high school students to create a new Santa Claus stamp for the post office, the actual stamp cancellation kafunk that they do on envelopes. And each year, the post office people and a panel of judges pick the picture that they want to convert into a stamp for Christmas. And the people in the post office will take your Christmas cards, your Christmas letters, just anything at all that you want stamped with this special holiday stamp anywhere between December 1st and December 24th during regular business days, 
they will stamp your envelopes and pop your envelopes in the mail for you. They'll put this fabulous one-time only stamp, that you know, the, the cancellation stamp, on your envelopes. And they'll do it for free. Don't have to pay anything. Just nice. send them your cards or postcards or anything you want hand-stamped. I think you're limited to Stiffy a day or something like that. They are. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of rules that you have to abide by, and one of them is that you have to put your own stamps on them. You have to send them pre-stamped to them. Put them in an envelope, and I'll give you the address in a minute. But you have a limit of 50 picture postmarks per person per day which means when you mail them, you can only mail them to them in lots of 50 or less. Uh, my suggestion would be to do it on different days. Like if you've got 150 cards to send out, send 50 on Monday, 50 on Wednesday, and 50 on Friday so they don't all gang up at the same time. But they will do 50 per person per day for you. So you have to pre-stamp the envelopes. Pre-stamp meaning put your little postage stamps on them, tuck them in an envelope, and you send them to the postmaster at the Santa Claus station in Santa Claus, Indiana. That's the entire address, Santa Claus station, Santa Claus, Indiana, and the zip code is 47579. So if you'd like to do this, I mean, I think this is just so super. You get um, a, a special Christmas stamp. I, I guess you know, one year it might be a reindeer, one year it might be... Santa Claus going down a chimney, I don't know. But you have to leave a two-inch by four-inch space in the stamp area for this special cancellation. And I was supposed to call them this week. Gosh darn it, I'll have to remember to put that on my calendar. I don't know which direction the two-by-four is supposed to go, whether it's uh, four inches deep or four inches wide. Um, I'm thinking probably four inches wide, but um, we shall see. I, I will find that out. But if anybody wants this address... Just pop me an email at floridawriter at hotmail.com. That's floridawriter, W-R-I-T-E-R, at hotmail.com. I will send you the, um, the address for the Santa Claus Station, Indiana, post office. And there's also a phone number that you can call for information. I would prefer not to give it out over the air so that they're not swamped. But if you'd like the phone number, just give me a call, and I will give you the phone number where you can call for information if you need it. Otherwise, you can just put your envelopes in an envelope and send them to the post office for special Christmas stamping. I think that is so sweet that they do that. That's very They're nice. They're gifts to the world. They will do as many as, as they get. Super dandy. Yeah, and these are hand-stamped. I mean, you can't put these through a machine. These people actually stand there and use rubber stamps <laughs> and cancel stamps. With Santa Claus, Indiana, in the uh, in the rubber stamp. Santa Claus coming to town. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the name of the town, Santa Claus, Indiana. Okay, so you have a Christmas town near you. What is no? Do you know somebody that lives in a Christmas town? Let us know. We're gonna try to do some things this Christmas holidays uh, with that in mind. So if you know somebody can help us out with that project. If you know somebody in a Christmas town. Well, no, it could be Christmas, Florida, or Santa Claus Lane, who knows where, or Rudolph Street, or whatever. We would like to know. So, give Patricia an email about that at floridawriter at hotmail.com. You there? I'm here. Good. I didn't go 
go anywhere. I know. I'm, I'm the one that normally... I scared you, didn't I? <laughs> I'm the one that normally sneaks out. I you know. know. I scared you. You didn't hear uh, anything. I know. <laughs> and you thought I was gone this time. Yeah. Oh, so, you want to go for a show? Let's go for a show. Let us go for a show. It's a Thanksgiving show. It is called The Tax Bill and Thanksgiving. In some places, it's just called The Tax Bill. But it's from November 22nd, 1949. And it's set up as if it were happening at Thanksgiving. It's actually two days before Thanksgiving because Fibber McGee and Molly were on on Tuesday nights. So Thanksgiving that year was actually November 24th. This show is on November 22nd, but it is the Thanksgiving show for Fibber McGee and Molly. It's, um, except Fibber's not in very much of a thankful mood. He's fussing and fuming because his tax bill for $124.68 for a house that's all paid for, he says, is too much. Um, he doesn't explain the logic of why it should be less because he paid for the house. <laughs> it all comes out okay at the end. Molly, however, reminds him that even though the house is all paid for, they only paid $2 to get it. So we're going to talk about that when the show is over. At the very end, when he's saying goodnight, though, it sounds like he changed a line at the end, and Molly just lost it. It sounded like she was hearing it for the first time. So I'm going to ask you your opinion, and I'm going to ask everybody else's opinion when we get to that. This is our Listen Hard show. I'm going to have three questions related to the show when we get back. I did it kind of late last week, so I promise as soon as we get back, I'll ask the questions this week. So here we go with the tax bill and Thanksgiving from November 22nd, 1949. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Silver McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. Two weeks ago, we first announced the big news. Johnson's Glow Coat is now positively water-repellent. At last, as a self-polishing floor wax that does not streak nor leave ugly spots when you wipe up still things. Does not wipe off nor lose its shine when you mop it. Since that first announcement, thousands have asked, can I get the new glow coat now at my dealers? Well, the answer is yes. Every dealer is now completely stocked with the new water repellent glow coat. You'll find it in the same familiar yellow container with the bright red band. All you have to do is look for the name glow coat to be sure of getting the one self-polishing floor wax that is positively water repellent. It looks just the same on the outside. Oh, but what a wonderful improvement inside. Don't wait to give your floors this new protection. Tomorrow, get Johnson's new water-repellent glow coat. It's at your dealers now in the regular glow coat package. Due to an error made by a late-for-a-date stenographer in typing out the governor's annual proclamation... Today is Thanksgiving in Wistful Vista. But the squire of number 79 is in no mood for it. He just got his tax bill. And he thinks this is a day for vultures, not turkeys. <laughs> Listen to him as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanksgiving. 
Get your furniture sparkling clean and shining bright with one application of Johnson's Cream Furniture Wax. It's the fastest wax furniture polish money can buy. In fact, Johnson's Cream Wax cleans so quickly, polishes so quickly, that using it is almost as easy as dusting. A few strokes with a cloth gets furniture clean, a few more, and it's polished to gleaming brightness. And Johnson's Cream Wax contains no sticky oils to catch dust. This week, speed Thanksgiving cleaning with the fastest wax furniture polish money can buy. Get Johnson's Cream Wax. Stay tuned for Big Town, coming to you next on NBC. And now, Kenny Baker, accompanied by Harry Lubin's orchestra. The nationwide party is all yours. Yep. I think I think we just ought to do Christmas. 
forget about Thanksgiving. How Let's did, just do Christmas. How did you tell? How could you tell? How could I tell what? How could you tell I always stole my Christmas? Oh, you never left off from July. <laughs> That's true. I know it. That's true. Someone for... Five four five two zero oh, seven one. Now I I promised I would get to the questions right away because I waited too long last week. But did you hear the end of the show? Yes, I did. Did you hear Molly laughing so hard? Yes, I did. I made sure I I made sure I put my head to hear that. Did it sound to you as if she had heard that line for the first time? Yeah, she was caught off guard. I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's yeah. always so much fun when that happens and yeah. she just loses it. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he must have done things like that on purpose just to see her break, break her up. It's, you know, if I, if, I had a, if I had a wife that loved the, the crack, I would do stuff like that all the time, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, yeah. and, and clearly they loved each other. Oh, yeah. That made it twice as much fun. Oh, yeah. Okay, here are the questions. This show was the tax bill and Thanksgiving. Molly reminded Fibber that their house cost them only $2. How did that happen? <laughs> Who remembers how that happened? I Second do, question, Fibber told Molly he played baseball in his younger years. What position did he play? Okay. And the third one, at the end, Fibber said he was going to gather Gus's customers and organize a PTA. What did the PTA stand for? <laughs> that was good. Okay, seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Three you, questions. Molly reminded Fibber that their house only cost them two dollars. Why and how did that happen? Fibber told Molly he played baseball in his younger years. What position did he play? And at the end of the show, Fibber said he was going to gather Gus's customers and organize a PTA. What did the PTA stand for? Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Did you notice Gus sounded very similar to Nick DePopolis? I was just going to mention that yeah. Nick DePopolis and Gus were essentially the same character. They were. And I wondered about the change on that. I asked Claire Schultz that one time. Claire Schultz wrote the book Fibber McGee and Molly on the Air, and it's a compendium of all of the shows plus characters and who was the advertiser and the actors, and he's got a little line at the bottom of each that relates to the show. But he also has some, some a fair amount of information about the show and about Fibber McGee and Molly. He's really an expert on the show. And I asked him about that, why they changed, and he thought it had it was related to the war and the countries that were involved in Greece and Italy and, you know, all of the European countries involved there, and he thought that it might have been a politically correct thing to do at the time, but this is 1949. So I guess they just kept the character of Gus instead of going back to Nick Topopoulos, which was a wonderful character, but this is the first time in a very long time that we heard the character. You know, Fibber had a, they had a tendency to fade people out. In other words, you would hear a character yeah. used for a while, then they would, then they would just sort of fade him out. And that's one of them. I know. And yeah. Foggy, Foggy Williams became yeah. Mayor Latrivia. Uncle Dennis. Uncle Dennis. Well, that one never should have been there. <laughs> 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 awful lot of people who would agree with that. Yeah. But um, 
Uncle Dennis came and went. You're right. Mrs. Uppington. Uh, Uppington and Mrs. Carstairs. I guess who who replaced whom? Uh, Mrs. Carstairs replaced Mrs. Uppington. Okay. So essentially, they kept the character, but the actresses right. changed, so they had to change the name of the character. Sure. So I, I guess that it would consider, I would consider that the same character, or the essence of the same character. Who else came and went? Uh, um, Rachel K. Boomer. Thank goodness. <laughs> That's a distraction at times, you know. Um... Uh, I see. Who else? Uh, Who else? Vincent came later. He was an addition. Uh, well, Jonas we probably just left. Left town. Well, he he left because of the new show. Yeah. That was a spinoff. But he played so many one-time or two-time characters until they moved him in next door as Gildersleeve. Mm -hmm. Although there is at least one show where his name was Gildersleeve. Before he became Gildersleeve, it right. was one of those one-time shows. Yep. It may have been two shows, but I remember one for sure. Do you know which one it was? I think so. I think so. I, I think I. I think I do. Um. Let's see. I am trying to think. What What other characters? Well, his his name was Gildersleeve in that show, although he was not Gildersleeve the neighbor. Right. He hadn't gotten to that stage yet. Right. I was just thinking of other characters that disappeared over the time. Oh, well, I was asking you a question about the show. Do you remember which show? He was named Gildersleeve, but it was before the Gildersleeve character actually evolved. Was it the time when he was the policeman? And they, they, uh, Fibber and Molly were going to elope for the honeymoon? No, his name wasn't Gildersleeve in that one. Okay. I guess I don't know. He was the eye doctor. Oh, that's He's right. He's the eye doctor. That's and right. I think it was the Gildersleeve mm -hmm. photographer as well. Mm -hmm. I think his name was Gildersleeve when he was the photographer. Um, do you remember that show? I do. I came in I and, and demanded money up front before yep. his pictures were taken. I do. And Fibber paid him. Mm -hmm. and, and Gildersleeve or the, the photographer came in and said, Okay, you can pay me now. <laughs> and I said we already did, yeah. but it was the guy who was collecting money because of the back due electric bill. So Fibber paid the electric bill <laughs> instead of paying for his his pictures. But I believe he was Gildersleeve in that show. But definitely with the eye doctor, it was the Dr. Gildersleeve, the eye doctor. Might have been the, there was a dentist in there as well. Did he play the dentist? Yes, he did. I think he did. Was it Dr. Gildersleeve in the dentist yes. office? I don't know. I don't know that one. Um, the eye doctor is the only one I'm really sure of. Maybe right. somebody out in our listening group can remember if there was another show in which Gildersleeve was not yet Gildersleeve the neighbor, but they gave him, they gave the character he played the name of Gildersleeve in the show. I, I just came up with a great question for Patricia. <laughs> Always come up with good questions. All right, I'm hanging on to my seat. I got my seatbelt on. What? All right. What book should be written on old-time radio that hasn't been written mm -hmm. yet? Just one? Yes. I get to pick? Yes. Well, you you know what you're thinking of. Um, well, 
I don't know. Okay. <laughs> That's a good, honest answer. Is there uh, room for another fibber book? Another fibber book? I, I would do it on the number of characters that came and stayed or came and went. Mm -hmm. Who played what mm -hmm. and how the characters evolved. I mean, how, how did Nick DiPopolis become Gus? That kind of stuff? Sure. I think it would be a great idea. Sure. They had a mountain of characters. When you talk about Fibber McGee and Molly, they remember Fibber and Molly. Most people will remember the mayor if they stuck with the show all the way through. But if you ask them who else, they really have to struggle to remember Gildersleeve. And that's where they stop. Whoops, maybe they'll come up with Teeny. Who else? But there were scads of characters in that show. Well, the old-timers, they're from practically the beginning till the end. Mm-hmm. He's not a character who would come instantly to mind when you say Fibber McGee and Molly. You say, oh, yeah, they were great. Well, who else was in there? Well, let me think. You know? I mean, it's, it's not that any of the... All of the other characters were very strong, but they didn't take over the show, which was wonderful. You think Gildersleeve could have? No. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think that there were enough places he could have popped up in, even if he had stayed the next door neighbor. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think he could have been in enough shows to eclipse Fibber and Molly. Mm -hmm. If it were every week, yeah, he could have gobbled them up, I uh -huh. think. Uh, yeah. Very strong character. Yep. Seven one four. Five four five. Two o seven one. Do you know any of Patricia's favorite questions? She Her do. Questions are somewhere here <laughs> in this mess. I have on my. Let's see. There's Truman. There are my notes. There are the tax bill. That's what we're looking for in the tax bill. Molly reminded Fibber the house only cost them $2. How did that happen, that they only paid $2 and got a house? Fibber and Molly, Fibber told Molly he played baseball. Mm -hmm. What position did he play when he was young? And in the end, Fibber said he was going to gather Gus's customers and organize a PTA. What did the PTA stand for? 714-545-2071. We haven't ha heard from Madam President for a couple of weeks. Where is Madam President? Maybe Nolan. Time for you to roll in. You could... oh, Nolan, I have your DVD of the worst shows, some of the worst shows. There have to be more out there. I just don't know yet where to look. These are the ones I found. The worst shows in history. Absolutely the worst in history. Just want to remind Kim Astis if we could drop in quite often. Uh, tomorrow is the preview, everybody. So please join Bill and Kim at 8.30 Eastern and tune in and listen to the auction. We would, uh, the preview of the auction. And Kim will get a list up probably tomorrow. And there will be a sort of an incomplete list. Uh, she'll be adding it throughout the week. So if you could tune in and listen to that tomorrow. And the auction to week from tomorrow at 4 o'clock Eastern Time. And the preview, Bill and Kim will go through the list of items that they already have and have, I guess, Kim 
we'll identify the ones that she's put together in groups, at least for now. The, the groups are not necessarily carved in concrete because they, they could be redistributed into uh, different collections. Each collection is a single um, bid. So you'll, you'll bid on number six. If we're down to number six in the auction, there are three lots within number six, and you will bid on a lot, which means a whole collection of goodies. And uh, it makes it nice. I mean, it's like a surprise package. You get all these great things in a box, including the ones that you really, really, really wanted, and some other things come along for the ride. It's really wonderful. So I have some uh, turkey day recipes. Oh, it's getting close to that time of the year. Uh-huh. What, what can we have Thursday, Patricia? Well, I've got some recipes from, I've got one from 1796, how to stuff and roast a turkey. So are you going to try that on Thursday? I don't think so. Oh, okay. These are not good recipes. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are. Okay, then there's Mrs. O's pumpkin pie from 1855. Mm-hmm. And there's one that really sounds good. Um, it's called Rich Mincemeat Pie from 1860. It's in the American Practical Cookery Book by a Practical Housekeeper, published in Philadelphia by J.W. Bradley in 1860. All right. I've never had minced meat. Can you run down the recipe? You've never had minced meat, have you? Never have. Well, I bypassed a couple of the recipes that make me gag, and <laughs> I love mincemeat pies. So this one, I was very delighted when I found this. Okay, you start out with three pounds of tender lean beef. Three pounds. A pound and a half of suet. What's that? Fat. Syrup, okay. All right. It, it's actually fat. Uh-huh. Um, beef fat. You know, you, you cut off a layer of beef fat, so it's a, a pound and a half of suet. Um, it says half as much prepared apple as meat, which is kind of silly. It's a little bit more than two pounds of chopped, of uh, about two and a half pounds of um, two, four, yeah, about two and a half pounds of apples mm-hmm. cut up. So we've got beef, suet, and apples. Two pound of chopped raisins stoned. Do you know what a stoned raisin is? I do not. A stoned raisin is a raisin with the pits removed. Oh, so I eat those all the, all the time then. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Two pounds of clean currants. I don't know what dirty currants are, but I guess that means you have to wash them before you put them in there. Two pounds of sugar. Two cups of molasses. One gill of rose water, and we'll come back to that one. Mm-hmm. The rind and juice of four lemons, a pint of wine or brandy, salt, mace, cloves, cinnamon, black pepper, ginger, vanilla. All of these things come together. Chop the meat and the suet and the apples very fine. Add them to the raisins and currants, then dissolve the sugar in the brandy and mix thoroughly with all the remaining ingredients. Fill a deep plate with a rich paste, meaning, I guess, a pastry. Fill it, cover, and bake. That's all it says is bake. It doesn't say how long. It doesn't say what the test is. It just says cover and bake. Now, that would have been a wood-burning stove in 1860. Wow. Can you, 
That must have been a big pie if you're talking three pounds this, two pounds of sugar. It must have been, I mean, it must have been a a galvanized wash, you know, the the big gum Mm -hmm. tubs, a galvanized wash tub to fit this thing into the oven. I mean, we're talking about one, two, cheese. We're probably talking about 10 pounds worth of stuff in here. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So I don't know how big it was, it, you know, how big it came out, but that's the way you do it. You just bake it in the oven. It has all of these ingredients, and it really does have all of these ingredients. It is just such a wonderful pie. I love it. Okay, one gill of rose water. That one really set me hunting. It took a while. Want, want to take a guess on that? Well, uh, you know, first time I ever had rose water was at the Brown Derby restaurant where they The flower itself. The flower, yeah, the flower. It, it gave it, it the water a special fragrant taste. That's to exactly it. what it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, rose hips, or um, there's a, a particular. Let me see if I, I think I did save the name of the rose. Um, no, I didn't. Okay. Well, it is a rose actually soaked in water, mm-hmm. and it, it takes on the flavor of the rose. One gill is a liquid measurement. I never heard that before. It's a unit of liquid measurement, and it's equal to a quarter of a pint. I should have figured out how many tablespoons that is, but I, I didn't. There are two tablespoons in an well, ounce. I think two pints. Two pints in a quart. Isn't it two pints in a quart? Mm-hmm. And how many? There are eight ounces in a pint. So, I mean, I'm thinking in terms of gallons. Uh, is it four? Two pints. There are four quarts in a gallon. Right. Two pints in a quart. So this is one eighth of a gallon. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. But it's no, it's it's a quarter of one eighth of a gallon. Okay. It's a quarter of a pint, and that would be four ounces. Would right. That, does that sound right? Yeah, sounds right. Four ounces. Hmm. No, no, eight ounces. Uh, um, a pint is sixteen ounces, and a quart is thirty-two ounces. Right. Yeah, that's right. So. A quarter of eight ounces is two ounces, and two ounces would be four tablespoons. Mm. I never knew. Right? I, I never knew two t- four tablespoons was an ounce. I never knew that. Two tablespoons is an ounce. I never knew that. I do. Well, oh, see, okay. So you. instead of saying four <laughs> tablespoons, I guess. Well, of course they wouldn't have even. Measurements, you couldn't say a tablespoon in 1860, so it really was a quarter of a pint. Of like, and that was one gill is a quarter of a pint, and I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah? That's amazing. I learn something every week. You make go learn something every week. What about the pumpkin pie recipe? Oh, the pumpkin pie recipe is enough to make you want to say, I think I'm gaining weight just reading <laughs> <laughs> You start out with one, they, they made big stuff here, yeah. one quart of strained pumpkin or squash, two quarts of milk, a pint of cream, a teaspoon of salt, four teaspoons of ginger, 
two teaspoons of pounded cinnamon, two teaspoons of nutmeg, two of mace, ten well-beaten eggs, and sugar to your taste. Woohoo! Bake with a bottom crust and rim, you know, because you don't have a, a pie crust on the top of a, of a pumpkin pie. Oh, okay. And you bake it until it's solid in the center. So there really were no times for any of these recipes, any of these early recipes. It was, you know, check it, and if it looks like it's done, it's done. That's a lot of stuff. That's a big pie. Well, I'm just thinking, Patricia, if you think about it, chef, people who cooked and were chefs and fed the family, a lot of it was trial and error, and, and, uh, and they had their own taste, I guess. They didn't really probably had a very strong recipe to go by. I mean, you're not no. saying... Put it in the oven for 350 degrees for 40 minutes. You don't see that. <laughs> you, don't, you can't measure. No. And then one one night, oh, what, about a month ago, I had the article from, I think it was the Los Angeles Times. It, it was the Los Angeles Times that gave instructions on how to tell when, when you had a slow oven, a medium oven, or a hot oven. You put a piece of paper in there, uh-huh. and if the edges just curled, just barely curled, it was... A medium oven, and if it really curled up and turned brown and wanted to cinder and started to burn, it was a hot oven. So, you know, they, they really had some primitive measuring tools that allowed them to put out these fabulous dinners. But I'm thinking in 1855, when you have two quarts of milk and a pint of cream as your basis for a pie, they had very large families. Or they were feeding yeah. large groups of people in those days. Have you ever dug out a what a farm family ate during the day? It, it, oh, my God. Oh, it's, it's huge. But they had their large meals in the middle of the day, and the women would bring them out to fields. But still, I look at, the, I look at I, when I read those, those meals... I know. I mean, I'm looking at the calorie gift for dessert for two or three different pies or cakes and... Indeed. Okay, here's the military cooking. A turkey roast? Ready. All right, this is from the book, Manual of Mess Management. <laughs> the military, yeah, right. <laughs> and it looked, you know, I wonder, how come the food services and the, the commissary and the, the whatever they called it where, where they ate, what, what is the, is it the, not the commissary, uh, where the did qu- they go to eat? The quartermaster should be the mess hall. The mess hall, yeah. Mm-hmm. How did it get to be called mess? I don't know. Why did they call him a quartermaster? I don't know. Because mm-hmm. he never got to be a full master? I, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, okay, we've got the Manual of Mess Management, the military service publishing company from 1941. So we're in the World War here. This is where we have 70 pounds of turkey undrawn or 50 pounds of turkey dressed and drawn, four pounds of onions minced and browned, two pounds of fat, butter preferred. Instead of just fat, they prefer butter, but this is war years. Fifteen pounds of breadcrumbs and two pounds of flour. We're feeding a lot of people here. It says, singe, then clean the turkey well, saving the heart, liver, and gizzard, which should be cooked and then minced for use in the gravy or dressing. To make the dressing, you moisten the breadcrumbs. I'm looking here at 
that's some print. Um, moisten the bread, breadcrumbs with water, mix with the onions and giblets, and season pepper and salt and sage and thyme and other spices. It's amazing that during wartime they had all of these things. The bread may be soaked in oyster liquor. I'm assuming that that's the liquid. When you crack open an oyster, there's a liquid in there, and I believe they call it liquor. Okay. And the oysters are added to the dressing. Celery, currants, or raisins may be used instead of onions. Lemon juice or nuts may be added. You stuff the turkey with the dressing. Sew it up. They sewed up their turkeys um, with strong thread. Tie the wings down to the body and make a batter with the flour and fat. Season with salt and pepper and rub the turkey with it before placing it in the oven. How about that? Now, do you know what an undrawn turkey is? Well, I'm just analyzing. Listen, I'm assuming those are ones that are not cut up. They're not anything. Huh. They're, if you're right. They're just dead, and you hang them up. And when they're when they're drawn, yeah, it means that. Um, they've been hanging well, for a while. I was just thinking. They let, they let them hang for up to three days. So they did that with, uh, with geese, right? During They did it with geese, geese. and all, all kinds of fowl. Uh -huh. Quail and pheasant and turkeys. Mm -hmm. So dressed and drawn is cleaned out, feathers pulled, head chopped off, feed, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like you would get it in the store. That's a dressed and drawn turkey. But they start out with 50 pounds, but it doesn't say, all right, it says 18 to 20 counts. So I'm, I'm are they thinking 50 pounds of turkey for 20 people? They must, they, they must, they, they think these must be hungry military guys. That's two and a half pounds per. I know. Whew. Wow. Anyway, that's a military turkey dinner. <laughs> that's a lot of turkey. I'm just wondering, Patricia, it'd be interesting to do a study someday. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yes? Recipes. How have they changed over the years? Oh, my in, goodness. In other words, I'm wondering, in the old days, we, you, we cooked it with a lot more butter and a lot less sugar. Now, I think most everybody agree that most of the processed food has a lot more sugar now than it probably did 100 years ago. I just I, wondering. I, I think that's probably correct. Yeah. Although, look at how much sugar went into the mincemeat pie. Oh yeah. Pounds. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you should mention that because Patricia happens to have a 1913 Crisco apple pie. Crisco the. Oh. Right. Oh right. Now this one finishes up before we even get into the recipe. This is, of course, a Crisco promotion. It's a Crisco cookbook. Mm -hmm. And it says on the bottom, hundreds of instances of Crisco's healthfulness. This is pure fat, lard, the whole thing. Crisco's healthfulness has been given by people who, at one time, have been denied such foods as pastry, cake, and fried foods, but who now eat these rich yet digestible Crisco dishes. That's was part of the slogan. Remember the radio Crisco is so digestible. Is the digestive? Yeah, yes. yeah. I remember. I've got yeah. a couple of Crisco commercials. So I, I just thought you would like to know that if you've got gallbladder problems <laughs> and you can't eat fatty foods, if you cook them in Crisco, you're fine. Mm. Isn't that scary? That's pretty good. 
Oh, tell me when I start chirping. I'm seeing beeps on my phone. Okay, for filling <clears throat> a medium-sized pie tin, it doesn't say how big, medium, or large, just as medium-sized. You use three cups of pared and sliced apples, half a cup of sugar. That's about right. I wouldn't use any more sugar than that. Um, salt, Chris, uh, one tablespoon of Crisco, quarter teaspoon of cinnamon, lemon juice, grated rind of a half a lemon, um, and as a plain Crisco pastry, you use one and a half cups of flour, half a cup of Crisco. You put the salt in there and add cold water. You sift the salt and stuff together and kind of cut in the fat. You just like cutting a piece of meat with your knife and fork. Mm -hmm. You cut it into until it makes all little lumps in the, in the flour, and you add enough water to be able to roll it out says make a stiff paste and that's the pastry or the pie crust for the apple pie wow so i just thought everybody would like to know that you can eat crisco if you have a bladder problems <laughs> and it won't bother you <laughs> it doesn't say anything about arteries in here but of course it was um you know, it was just 1913 i probably didn't know about plugged up arteries yet no so that's yeah. my story. Those are my recipes for tonight. But, boy, that mincemeat pie looks so good. It must have taken seven weeks to make that thing. Wow. All right. Patricia's favorite Thanksgiving meal is is what? Is what? Yeah. C create your Thanksgiving meal. What? My, oh, you're asking me? Yep. Create your own favorite Thanksgiving meal. My very own favorite Thanksgiving is turkey, a mix of dark white and and a dark meat and white meat, mm -hmm. and stuffing with gravy. What kind of stuffing? Oh, bread stuffing. Not not cornbread, just bread with sage mm -hmm. and um, no. poultry seasoning and salt and pepper and celery and onions and all sorts of good stuff. Okay. Right? And then mashed potatoes and sweet potato, but if I can only have one, I'll take the sweet potato. Mm -hmm. And olives and and that's it. Well, we have the olives? Olives, yeah. yeah. Olives and cranberry sauce. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Hey, I just want to let you guys know that Hawaii won. Hooray! Hooray, Ron, that is cool. Who did they play? We played San Jose State. Ah, uh, the Spartans. The Spartans. Yeah. And the score was? 41 to 7. Oh my gosh, you talk about a shellacking. Holy cow. So, are we eligible for a bowl yet? We are. Hawaii, Hawaii is eligible to play in the Sheraton Hawaii Bowl. All right. So. Oh, Ron, that is so cool. You're not excited about this, are you? I am. Oh, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in my car on the way home. I noticed. Now, who, how many more games they got in the regular season? Uh, we have two more. One was on the road at Las Cruces, Mexico. Okay. And then they played the last game before the bowl is at home against UNLV. The Running Rebels. The Running Rebels. Yeah. 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 So you, you really keep up with your football. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, I, I, I know my teams. Football is the best time of the year. I know. I know. Oh, you know, someday, when, someday when Patricia goes up, she'll understand why. One day when I grow up, I'll understand nothing. Yeah, when Patricia grows up, she'll understand. Yeah, I know. 
two guys just running around chasing this thing and falling down and breaking each other's legs and crashing into each other and giving themselves concussions. I mean, really. Ah, uh, well. Anyway, also, uh, I just want to make sure I wish you guys a ha all a pleasant and happy Thanksgiving. I know you guys are talking about food already. Food! Food! What, are, what do you, is, is there anything different in Hawaii than what we do on the mainland for Thanksgiving food? They put a pineapple on the turkey. Uh, I don't know what. <laughs> is, is, there, is there anything different that you serve on, on Thanksgiving than what we typically do on the mainland? Uh, no, we, we, we eat uh, the same thing, turkey. And what else? And what else? We eat turkey with cranberry sauce and stuffing and... Someone, oh, I know, someone's going to eat sushi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now, now, I'm assuming you don't have grown turkeys in Hawaii. They come shipped in, I'm assuming, right? Our turkeys are shipped, right? Yeah. <laughs> our turkeys are shipped. No, I'm, I'm, I'm asking my wife. Yeah, our turkeys are shipped. Oh, jeez. We are, I mean, oh, I know. We eat um, what kind of potato? Yam? Oh, really? We, we eat mashed potatoes or yam? Okay. Yeah, yams and sweet potatoes are pretty close. I went, I went. I went to a, a, a Thanksgiving party, and they asked me what color meat did I want. Black <laughs> meat, <laughs> and I said, "Look, in my situation, just give me whatever. It doesn't matter what color it is." But they told me that it does matter. The taste is different. The taste is very different. It is. Yeah, I knew you. Black meat is softer. Dark meat is softer and it has a lot of fat in it. I say a lot of fat. It's it's quite it's got a lot of um, calories from fat, whereas the white meat is is absent of fat. There's very little fat in the white meat. Yeah, so it does make a difference to eat dark meat or white meat. You know? mm -hmm. So what did you take? Well, now I know I always eat a dark meat. You know? <laughs> when I did know, I said it didn't matter what color, you know. Yeah. You tell me you put white meat, I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, just say, just say put a New York steak in front of me and I'll be okay. Huh? Just say a New York steak. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I don't know if you have Ruth Crisp. Oh, yeah. Oh. We and sure if do. Ate, if you ever ate a ribeye steak, let me tell you, I have never eaten better ribeye steak than, than Ruth Crisp. They do a great job. What is the name that he's saying? Ruth Chris Steakhouse. I don't know that name. Yes, it was started in New Orleans, Patricia. I'm sorry. Uh, a, a woman took a loan on her house to start a restaurant and wound up being a chain at least 40 different steakhouses throughout America. Oh, we don't, we don't have one here. It's, it's outstanding. Everything's all carts. Yeah. Uh, everything's outstanding. Yeah, everything's outstanding. The cream spinach is to die for, Patricia. Yeah. It's turkey. No, but we don't want to <laughs> die for, so. <laughs> I want turkey. She wants turkey. Huh? She, Patricia, she turkey. She wants turkey. Turkey? Mm -hmm. Turkey. Yeah. We that's, what I, that's what I like. But after, I can only eat it once a year. I don't want to eat turkey. You know, like I don't, I don't want to have to eat at Christmas or 
New Year's, or I don't know why, Thanksgiving, that's it. Okay, well, we won't make you eat anything else. How are you on Thanksgiving history? Well, I knew, I know that the program has landed before, just after Walden was born. <laughs> oh, yes? And uh, that Walden was, um, what, the navigator of Mayflower or something? That's right, yeah, I, nav my, I navigated the Mayflower, yep, you're good. You're good. He's the captain of the ship. Yeah, right. Yeah, so far I'm doing pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Do you know which year the Pilgrims celebrated their first Thanksgiving? Was it the Pilgrims celebrated their first Thanksgiving? What year? Was it 16? Oh, they landed in 1620, right? They landed in 1620. Yeah. When, when did so, they celebrate their first Thanksgiving? Uh, the day after. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gail is helping you there. I'm in November, I think. Oh, good. <laughs> I've been pretty good, right? <laughs> well, you remember when they landed. That's really good. 1620. People missed that. Yeah. Yeah, 1620. 1620, they landed. When did they have their first Thanksgiving? I don't know. I really don't know. I think I ought to give you credit for 1620, though. Yeah, because they landed in Hawaii in 1620. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't land in Hawaii. I know that. <laughs> oh, okay, they landed on Plymouth Rock. In Very good. Yes. My gosh, you really are good on this. They landed. No. You know what? They, 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 you, know, you know the Hawaiian day Captain Cook? Yeah. What, 1730? Yeah. You know why they said if you can't beat them, eat them or something? Say that again? They said the reason why they ate Captain Cooper, they said if you can't beat them, eat them. I missed it. We, we missed that. We, we, we missed that. Say that one more time, Ron. Oh, my cell phone cut out on you? Well, you sounded good oh, I, right I, now. I'm having trouble understanding the word. It's they told Captain Cook, they ate Captain Cook. Yeah. Because they said, if you can't beat him, eat him. You don't get it. No, nope, I missed the word again. Oh, that's okay. Never mind. Let's not go through it again. Walden's not helping so, me. I know this story is repeating. Oh, no. <laughs> you have to send me an email. Send me, have, would you ask Gail to send me an email about that? No, I, I find it. Eels, I guess. Yeah. I didn't know. Well, I thought Captain Hook was hanging. I didn't think they ate him. They ate him. No kidding. They ate Captain Cook? Yeah. I never knew that. They ate him. Ooh. Ooh. Are you sure? They ate Captain Cook, right? They did. <laughs> no. They did. That was cannibal. Yeah. Go check your history. All right, now I have to go look up something else. You guys, you give me homework every week. Yeah, go look, go, go look it up. Then cook. All right, you just keep talking for a second, Walden. All right. So, Ron, how's the week been? You, you have you played the piano any? How, how's everything coming along? Did we lose Ron? What? How, how was your week so far? My week? Yep. Oh, my, my week has been very hectic. Good. 
very busy. But otherwise, everything is fine. So what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? Is the family coming over? What, what's going to be the routine next Thursday? Uh, I got to work. I worked at a hotel for Thanksgiving. I played. What are we doing? Uh, wait, hang on. I'll, I'll call you back. Call okay. You. Call me back. And Ronald will call us back. This is the full service, Yesterday USA. We do history on Saturday night. You know, I wonder if Patricia loves history as a student. She gets... They ate him. They did? It says... Um... Well, the name of this is Cannibalism in Polynesia, the Demise of Captain Cook. Ew. I'm going to change phones. Okay. Um, gee, this is awful. Well, we don't have to, re we don't, you don't have to go any further, but I never knew that. I thought they, I, I, I thought they hung him, so I never knew that. I'll be back in a second. All right. This is Yesterday USA. I'm Wong Shoes. Yeah. Patricia's switching phones. I'll turn her up to give her a good balance. And here. Ron's going to call us back. Everybody will be having a little phone hiccup, hiccup, hiccup. Or squeak weeks. I never knew Captain Cook was eaten. Um, I don't know. At about 8 o'clock, it was very dark, a canoe paddling toward the ship. There were two Hawaiian persons in the canoe, and when they came on board, they threw themselves at our feet. This is supposedly, I guess, a, a diary entry. Yeah. And appeared exceedingly frightened. After lamenting with the abundance of tears and the loss of Arono, as the natives called Captain Cook, one of them told us he had brought us part of the body. <laughs> oh, jeez. Jeez. Oh, he then presented a small bundle wrapped up in cloth and which he put under his arm. It's impossible to describe. Oh, ooh, I don't know. Don't mean anymore. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't kidding. Oh, boy. Um, I don't think this is very fun. No, no. There are reports that he was cannibalized not actively practiced in Hawaii at this time. Well, I mean, how do you know that in 1779? Yeah. I did not know that. I, oh, dear. Good old Ron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not part of our Thanksgiving dinner. No. She <laughs> oh, was. Um, all right, so when he calls back, I'll be able to tell him we looked it up, and honest to goodness, they ate him. Yeah. This is. Do you did you ever learn the rhyme of the gingham dog and the calico cat? No. The gingham dog and the calico cat side by side on the table sat. Oh, it's a great little poem. I have it somewhere. I'll. I'll... You don't know it by heart? No, it's a oh. very long poem. Okay. But the the end of it is really cute. Let's see what we got here. I, I have, you know I have. I only had to recite, I only recited one poem my whole entire life in class, and that was Casey at the Bat. Can you do that? Well, I did it back then. I had it written out with three braille pages. But, um, and I'm just trying to think. I think I must have read, uh, Longfellow's poem in school, you know, as a reading, we parts of it. Uh, but I'm just, I don't, never have, uh, read too much poetry, I guess, so... All right, it's called The Duel by Eugene Field. Mm -hmm. And now I have to find it. Let's see. Oh, here it is. Okay. 
The gingham dog and the calico cat side by side on the table sat. Twas half past twelve, and what do you think? Nor one nor the other had slept a wink. Wow. The old Dutch clock and the Chinese plate appeared to know, as sure as fate, there was going to be a terrible spat. I wasn't there, I simply state, what was told to me by the Chinese plate. And it goes on for quite a while, but the, it ends up with next morning where the two had sat, they found no trace of the dog or cat. And some folks think unto this day that burglars stole the pair away. But the truth about the cat and pup is this, they ate each other up. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Oh, jeez. What do you think of that? The old Dutch clock, it told me so, and that is how I came to know. <laughs> that in first grade. Jeez. Hello there. Okay, I'm home. You're I'm home. I'm home now. You're home for the holidays. I'm home, and I, 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 I realized that you guys learned a history lesson that you really didn't care to learn. <laughs> Well, it was a surprise. It, and it sure, it sure messed up your appetite, I'm sure. Well, we're it, talking about turkey and mincemeat pie, and now we're talking about minced up Captain Cook. Now you're talking about calico cats or something? Or yeah, whatever. the gingham dog know. and the calico cat. Did you ever hear that? No. Well, it's a great little poem. You know it? Well, I've got it in front of me. I, I heard it when I was a kid. Well, you didn't memorize it then. No, I didn't memorize it. I, I remember the gingham dog and the calico cat side by side on the table sat, and that's the fir those are the first two lines. <laughs> right. so. That's all I remembered. <laughs> but it's a great, and, and they, they had a terrible spat, and they fought, and when people got up in the morning, they weren't there. And, and people thought they were stolen by a burglar, but the truth was they ate each other up. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, they told me this in first grade, Ron. Now, now we're getting really cannibalistic. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I just really want to wish you guys happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully, you guys have a real good meal, and uh, with all the all the trimmings with pumpkin pie, or is it mince pie? Which is it? Well, I like mince meat pie. <clears throat> Alden likes um, lemon pie. Uh-huh. I'm a lemon you pie. You get a lemon pie? Me too. I love lemon meringue. Yeah, yeah, terrific. I, I, I just love it. I think that's a real neat thing to eat. I agree. So you, you get paid triple for it, Brian? Do you get paid triple on the, on, on the holiday? Uh, I, get, you know, I get paid pretty good money for working on a holiday. <laughs> I'm paying for all, I hope so. Playing for all the people that are having a good turkey meal at the hotel. What and they come up with nice requests and stuff, so it's it's a fun. What time do you play? Are you gonna play like from ten in the morning to six at oh, night? Or what? No, no, no. Eleven to four. Okay. Wow, that's a long time. Eleven to well, I'm I'm like you. I I have good dexterity and good, um, you know, as long as it's in the afternoon. I'm not like you. I I could never play from eleven to four in the morning. <laughs> well, I wouldn't ask you to, but. Gosh, you know, five hours, though, that that takes a lot of stamina. I, I love to play. I really enjoy playing. And people ask for nice nice music, show tunes and all kinds of stuff. You sneak in Christmas music again already on Thanksgiving Day, or do you wait? Quite, and I wait. Okay. I wait. Okay. When you, when you do a performance or you play and, and you know, you, you're out there, and it's Christmas time, what's the most popular Christmas song people ask for? 
they 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 kind of I get a lot of requests for like Winter Wonderland and uh, um, what child is this uh, for some reason uh-huh. and um, um, well oh and um, like have yourself a merry have yourself have a, a merry merry have yourself a merry little Christmas or yeah that's the one. So I, those are pretty much. Oh, and then because we're in Hawaii, they want to hear Merry Kalikimaka, which is Merry Christmas in Hawaiian. Right. So, yeah. So that's the kind of request we get. Who Who's your favorite piano player of all time? You know, there's several. I, for classical music, I like. I thought Arthur Rubinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is one of my favorites. And. Um, and for jazz, I like Oscar Peterson. Mm-hmm. I've always admired his talent. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, those are two, two of my favorites, I think. Can you, when you listen to a piano, please, could you tell who style that is right away? Like, Carmen Caballero had a distinctive style. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, you can... You can recognize his style mm-hmm. quite, you know, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Eddie Luchin's story several times, the movie, because he right. did such a remark. Carmen Cavallaro did such a remarkable job of playing the piano you know, in the Eddie Luchin story. Yes. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, anyway, you guys, I'm going to cut you loose. I, I just want to wish you guys happy Thanksgiving. And let you know that um, uh, Captain Cook was eaten and <laughs> the Pilgrim is left in 1620 on the Mayflower. You know what you're going to get for punishment? Well, I hope the punishment is to, to stiff, but... <laughs> I'm going to send you some really awful shows. I mean, oh, God. they are so bad, Ron, you're going to have fun with them. Okay? Well, names was one or two of the most awful shows, you know. Oh, there are, oh my goodness, let me see what I've got here. It's it's really bad. <laughs> Blair, Blair of the Mounties is one of them. Yeah, well, the, you know what? I found shows that are so bad they make Blair of the Mountie look like a Broadway play. Really? Good. I know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you pick some of those awful shows you can find. Awful, awful, awful. Send it to me, and I'll be more than happy to to realize that that's my punishment for being mean and <laughs> Captain Cook and stuff. You guys are great. You guys take care of yourself and have a good Thanksgiving week. Well, I hope we can talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, Ron. Thank you so much. Love the two of you. Take care now. Aloha. Aloha, Ron. Uh, hi to Gail for us, too, please. I will. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow. You never know. I know. That was our friend, Ron, who helped us with our history lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I, I, I knew Captain Cook didn't get out alive, but I didn't <laughs> think they ate him. Ay, ay, ay. Were you a history buff when you were in school? No. No. This is something very recent. Recent, like 
within the last, oh, maybe eight to ten years, ten years maybe. Wow. Where I've really developed an appreciation for, well, you know, maybe it was a little bit earlier than that because, uh-huh. um, you know, I was, well, no. It's I, when you grew up as a bunny rather than when you were a little bunny. Oh, I, no, I was a big rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> big rabbit when this happened but I, I you know what I was thinking back in um, in college I, I took electives like English lit not American lit so even in the literature I, I didn't get a good flavor for American history so it, it, it's been fairly recent like within the last 10 years or so that I've really appreciated and really gotten involved in uh, digging up information about American history it's really good stuff you've got so, a very rich history so when you were studying literature Mm-hmm. Was it mostly for the style? Um, no, it was mostly for a passing grade. Ah, okay. No, not, not really true, <laughs> not true. Um, it was strictly for the enjoyment of it. I mean, to, can you imagine, for somebody like me, being told you must read? No. I love it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing sometimes for writers, because writing is... It's a passion for a lot of people. And when you're involved in something that you enjoy so much, even when it's very hard work, you enjoy it so much, it comes sometimes with a sense of guilt that you're having a good time and you should be doing something else, (laughs) you know? I mean, you know, the the dishes need washing or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons that writers have such a difficult time. Um, I've always mentally punched the clock when I go to work I stay at work it's, it's just like I've got a regular boss and a regular job and I had to punch in and punch out and for a lot of people that's a very difficult thing to do so let me ask let me, let me ask you the question I asked Ron because he's a he's a musician turkey I know oh that's not the answer no oh okay pretty Ron. close as you as a writer uh-huh who have you enjoyed? What authors have you enjoyed in your lifetime? My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Let me count the ways. Um, we've talked about the classics. I really enjoy the classics. Mm-hmm. I like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I really like about that. Um, Dickens. Go ahead. Hello. Hello, there. Hello, Walden. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Jim. Oh, oh Jim, how are you? Happy Thanksgiving. Getting moved in. I don't know if Walden told you, but we are moving. We had to move three or four houses down because they, the owners want to sell the house. And we've gone from a, a palace to a, well, it seems when I say a palace, I mean in size. It's a palace to a cottage almost. <laughs> We're trying to cram things in and get things oh, into no. the house, and it's a lot smaller. and. But we're, but I have the same phone number, and it's just uh, we have the computer hooked up at least, and at least I'm able to continue to hear things. And we're just, we're just, we're just. They, we've had gas problems and electric problems. They finally got the stove checked today, and we're just, you know, we're we're coasting through somehow. Jim, it's moved what three times in four years now. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I feel like uh, I feel like a. Without, I feel like I'm Paolo, a Johnny Dollar going on assignments, but without an expense account, if you know what I mean. Moving from place to place, kind of. Nobody's paying you to do this, Jim. I can't. There are very few things, and I'd be hard-pressed to come up with them, that are more distasteful to me than having to move. 
I just cannot imagine having to do it three times in four years. I think we ought to have a special medal for you. Right. Well, well you know, the thing the thing about it is, I, I, it frustrates you because it's general, the, the circumstance, we're, we're all about things that we had no decision. You know, if you make the decision yourself to move, mm -hmm. it's one thing. Mm-hmm. But when other factors are involved, like landlords wanting to sell a place or people not paying their mortgage or uh, other other factors that you're not involved in. When, it, when it, in other words, when you if you decide, well, I have a better job in Albany, New York, and I'm willing to make the move, that's one thing. But when other people make the decision, you know, when it's based on what other people decide to do. Mm -hmm. That's when it's frustrating. It, it is. That what? happened to me just one time, and I don't ever want it to happen again. It what? was terrible. It was like, you know, somebody else was directing my life, and that's what's happening to you. Was it? Was it? I knew you moved a lot as a kid, Jim. Did you felt that way as a kid? Well, sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes. But the but the thing there was, I knew my. I, I in the end that you. Even if you feel bad about it, you know your parents had to do it because of you know the job situation. And I could sort of accept that. There was a reason for it, yeah. But, but it's something like where somebody else decides, well, they want they they want to sell it or, or make more money or raise the rent or little little things like that. That's what that's what. Uh, well, I always amazed my my uncle, a career military guy. I think they moved seventeen times in thirty five years. Once <laughs> once oh. once once every two years. And I know it must have been it must have been hard for his family, his wife and children, right? Well, I think the kids the kids felt like they never really had a uh, permanent friends. Well, you know, you know the thing was uh, now it's as a child, you know. You know, with the internet and the telephone now, of course, it's a lot easier than it was thirty or forty years ago yes. when you moved because now you know you can you can at least keep in touch with your friends. Correct, but they 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 do. But uh, but I'm asking for a military family. Back in those days, moving every two years, you know. Yeah, they have to get new to new schools, right? Kids do, and new, new new houses, and uh, new new neighbors, and and uh, things like that. One yeah. thing we were blessed by moving a lot since my dad had some of his fellow workers moved with him. So some some of the people we knew in several different cities, which kind of helped, you know, some, and it helped my my parents. Uh, it was always a hard thing for my dad because, you know, he had to decide, well, now we've got to, especially if we had to move in the middle of the school year, which happened occasionally. It didn't happen that most of the time the moves were in the summer. But if it happened like during the school year, in one case it was like in January, and in one case it was March, in one case October, that's a totally different story, you know, when the kid, especially with children. Yeah. You have to register school and... Uh, re-register and get the school records forwarded and it's uh it's it's one of those things but but we 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 and my housemate except for some friends of hers and her mother we pretty much hauled everything down there we didn't have to use a van or anything at least you know at least at least we uh went or we we rented a u-haul one day i think but but other than that it wasn't like you know where you had to use beacons or something like that and get everything the worst thing about it is, you know, you have, with my thing, a lot of recordings and things. They're in boxes and things, and, you know. Oh, no. Yeah, the first place I had in Hayward for years, I had a rough idea where everything was in different cabinets and boxes. But when you have to pack everything up in, in a few days' notice, and then you never really 
get it set up again because you know you got you got to get the, the the right box and we just we just had to sort of cram them in. You know what I mean? It's just one of those uh, one of those things that uh, happen, but we're we're getting used to it. I mean, you know, you hopefully we'll be able to stay at least three. We're we're counting on a year. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a year. Now, I was going to say, uh, getting to some more pleasant things, which is Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, what can you tell me? We, 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 I was talking about a friend of mine this the other day. In 1939, President Roosevelt made a uh, proposal or, or made a change in when Thanksgiving was observed in order that, as I understand it, so that the Christ- store owners and Christmas merchants could have a longer season. And he upped Thanksgiving a week earlier, and I understand it caused a lot of controversy in states in 1939. Yes, it did. We were talking about that a little bit earlier tonight, Jim. Holden, could you turn me down just a tick? Okay. Thank you. Um, We were talking about this earlier tonight. It used to be the last Thursday in November. Right. And what happened was that in 1939 and in 1933, so that's our answer there, Walden, it's every six years. Every six years, instead of having four Thursdays in November, we have five Five. Thursdays. And that shortened the amount of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is when the merchants, of course, were depending on having, if, if they didn't make it at Christmas time, they were really doomed for the rest of the year. And so they petitioned President Roosevelt to change it to the fourth Thursday, back it up a week, and he refused to do it. And it was darn near an insurrection (laughs) when that happened. But in 1941, well, actually in 1939, we'll talk about um, 1939, because he refused initially to do it, to back it up, it was officially November 30th that Thanksgiving was celebrated, and he capitulated and said, okay, you can have Thanksgiving on the 24th, if that's where the 23rd, if that's what you'd like. So that was the year in 1939, the only year that we actually had two Thanksgivings. And after that, President Roosevelt uh, relented, and in 1941, uh, Congress passed and President Roosevelt approved Thanksgiving being the fourth Thursday of November forevermore. So that means like not only when the when the 30th falls on Thursday, but when the 29th falls on Thursday, Thanksgiving's the 22nd. It's Thanksgiving, whatever is the fourth Thursday. Yeah. That's right. We're like, and that only can happen two times. And there's only two times during. Uh, I mean, out of seven seven days, seven time possibilities. There's only two possibilities where that can happen. When it's the 30th, when the last Thursday's the 30th, or when the last Thursday's the 29th. Mm-hmm. I do know in 1940 they observed it on the 21st because Chuck Shaden played a Baby Snooks excerpt from Thanksgiving Day, November 21st, 1940, which was the yes. third Thursday. Yes, there was a period of time when Thanksgiving... In 41, Thanksgiving was the 20th, I think. Well, I would have to go back and look. Um, December 21st, December 6th, uh, 1863. I didn't copy the whole thing. Oh, 
Oh, I'm trying to <laughs> hold on. Let me see if I've got it somewhere else. Roosevelt, no. Oh dear. Truman Proclamation, no. I have to look it up. I'm sorry. Okay, well, anyway, but anyway, now it's always the fourth Thursday. Correct. And, and in 19, uh, in 19, uh, for example, in, uh, you know, in Canada, as I understand, they observe it on the second Monday in October, the same day we do Columbus Day. They do their Thanksgiving on Monday. That sounds right. That's somehow it seems we. I mean, I, when I maybe weird isn't the word because everybody has the right to celebrate it the way they want. But you know, you always think of Thursday having your big dinner on Thursday and maybe relaxing on Friday or shopping on Friday. If they do it on Monday, I want I, they probably have to go back to work on Tuesday. I mean, I don't think they take that Tuesday off as an additional holiday. I don't think. Probably not. Um, Jim, what year were were you asking about? Nineteen forty-one. Forty-one. Okay. Doi doi doi. President of the United States. November 26th. Let me see here. Don't go away. I won't. <laughs> okay. There's a few more things. You keep talking, but you just can't go away, okay? Yeah. All right. Um, late story. It, as I'm digging through here, are you interested in a trivia? Question? I can try, yeah. Oh, you're going to have the answer. I'll try. Okay, let me see, 1941. Um, what year did the Pilgrims celebrate their first Thanksgiving? 1621. Yes, very good. Very good. Uh, and I, I've heard stories. Is it true, or was that just a Stan Freeford parody? Were they really going to have the turkey as our national bird? And and well, you know, Freeberg had the joke about cooking and uh, uh, stuffing, and the guy stuck the eagle in the oven instead of the turkey. Yeah. Yes, it was Franklin, um, Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, who wanted the turkey as the national bird. Could you picture how different our history would be? How the different Thanksgiving would be if that had happened? You turkey! I know. <laughs> it would have been. I mean. What would, what would you have? I mean, I, I can't picture people eating eagle. I'm, I'm, I mean that half kiddingly. By the way, we sang two turkey songs in school when we were growing up. Uh-huh. Thanksgiving. There were two turkey songs we sang from two different viewpoints. Gobble, gobble. Yeah, well, one was called A Turkey Set on the Backyard Fence. If I remember right, this is like from second grade or something. If a turkey sat on the backyard fence and he sang this sad, sad tune. Thanksgiving Day is coming, better cut out on the double, because I know I'll be eating soon. <laughs> gobble, 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 I would like to run away. Gobble, 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 how I hate Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> that was one song we sang. Uh-huh. The other one was from a diff- totally different viewpoint. <laughs> I kid you not. Gobble, gobble, who is that? Turkey gobbler, big and fat. Gobble, gobble, what does he say? Eat me on Thanksgiving Day. Uh-huh. You know, yep. what we do to little kids is just terrible. I mean, didn't, weren't we brainwashed as kids? I mean, um, I don't know. And we, we actually also I did sing a song about mince pie in, in grade school. There actually was a Thanksgiving song about mince pie. Okay. Always in November, just before December, comes Thanksgiving Day with turkey. Oh, my mince pie. Everybody loves mince pie. I do remember that. 
Did you ever eat mince pie? Yes, my mother made it a lot. Is it? It's pretty tasty, actually. Uh, but you know, when you look for it in the frozen food sections of stores out here especially, it's very hard to find mince, mince pie. I know, I know. It's almost impossible. Pop, you know, you find pumpkin, of course. You find pecan. I, I, we have a red, we, I don't know if they, we used to have a restaurant up here. It may still be open called Baker Square that specializes in pies for their desserts. And maybe Marie Callender's does the same. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they had mince pie a few years ago. Well, I love that recipe, Patricia. I figured the reason why I know it's not, it costs too much. To make mince pie? Yeah, look at that. You know, three two, three pounds of this and two pounds of that must have cost 35 bucks. I don't know. Well, well I, don't, I don't know how many. I never, at least in her recipe, and of course, I bet that pumpkin pie that she read about earlier was probably pretty, I mean, well, I guess considering it was, what, 18, what did you say, what year was that recipe from? 50, that 1855. Yeah, that would be, I imagine... All those ingredients are probably pretty expensive today to make that kind of pumpkin pie. It's interesting, though, that you notice that when you hear your Western shows like Gunsmoke and things like that, and they were having their desserts, they tended to eat more pie than cake in the West and in earlier times in our country's history. Did you notice that? I mean, no, I always noticed like Chester always wanted pie for dessert. Yes, 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 and and you know, in in the old movies, like. It, um, with Laurel and Hardy, for example, in that era, the women were always setting pies on the windowsills to cool them. Mm-hmm. And then, the, you know, they'd come up and steal the pies and do all right. neat things like that. Well, you know, and I guess uh, pies, you know, pie, I guess pies are more uh, uh, more popular. I mean, or they seem more popular then, and cakes seem more popular now, at least then, except at holidays. Mm-hmm. Except at holidays. Yeah, it's always the pies. But I would imagine it was a lot easier to make a pie than to bake a cake and have it rise and be exactly the right temperature and have the sugar to make the frosting, if that's what they were going to do. I would think that in the kinds of ovens and in the fireplaces where they cooked, it was a lot easier to create a pie than it would have been to create a cake. If I knew you would come and I would bake a cake. There aren't that many songs about baking pies, do I know? Yeah. <laughs> always, whenever I hear that song... Peter, Peter, about, Pumpkin Eater, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a cute song, um, but very popular in 1950. Mm-hmm. Do, you prefer, do you prefer cream pies or, or fruit pies yourself? For me? Yeah, both of you. I, I would like a mince pie, please. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like all pies, but if... Generally, I always go for a fruit pie, probably. I would go for a fruit pie. Yeah. Cherry or apple. Those are my two favorites. And do you like it a la mode? No. No? Just good old pie. She likes everything simple. She doesn't yeah, like Yeah, but you know, with um, with apple pie, mm-hmm. a wedge of really sharp cheddar cheese is so cool. I'm surprised for you to say that. You normally don't combine foods like that. but I know, but it's just the right thing. It is. It's like having vegetables and potatoes sitting next to each other and uh-huh. you kind of go back and forth uh-huh. it really is a great combination and i learned that from my dad mm. like the fried pies you know the little pies that you um that you sometimes get like the fried pies i don't know a fried pie like, like um you know hostess or what those uh the little pies that are so small you can just pick them up and eat they're generally fried the crust is i know you can you can buy those in grocery stores yeah i don't the think i had one the one with snoopy that's on the label I've never had a Snoopy pie. Okay. Um, 
my mom always my mom's best pies were her chocolate pie, her lemon pie, her uh, well of course her mince pie. Uh, she did a good uh, she did a brownie pie once, you know, was sort of a brownie type of pie. She did uh, I think she did coconut a few times, but she uh, my favorite cake of my mom's was a strawberry cake, and by that I don't mean a strawberry shortcake, but it was—it actually had an icing, a strawberry icing. It was a white cake made with strawberry jello, and a and a good frosting, a good mm. strawberry frosting. Mm. That was very good. Oh, so, yum! Did a good job on the pies. Uh, my dad's favorite was her, was chocolate pie. My sister's was lemon meringue. A lemon meringue pie? Yeah. Okay. Not cake, huh? Yeah, she kind of she kind of like my sister like lemon. Mm-hmm. My brother likes some of the berry pies, mm-hmm. like boysenberry or um, you know some of those types. Is is boysenberry similar to something I would be familiar with, like like blueberry or raspberry or something like that? Um, blackberry. No, it has a different. It has a seed, like a little hard corner, and it has more of a uh, a sour taste. There's also one that's very popular in California. I think it was there was one pie restaurant in Long Beach we used to go to that had uh, a different pie each month. And my mom in June always liked the wallaberry pie. I guess that's a special yeah, berry in yeah, California. Yeah, it's a, it's a wallaberry. Yeah, I don't know if it came from California, but I know what. I never know. heard of it. Uh huh. I've led such a sheltered life. <laughs> well, you have. Well, you have something in Florida, of course, that's very special to Florida. That's the key lime pie, right? Oh my goodness, yes. I like key lime pie. That's very good. Yeah, and that they really are a special species of lime. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just can't use a regular lime, huh? Nope. It, there really is key lime, and it's mm-hmm. key lime, and it's uh, when anybody tries to serve a green key lime pie, it's because they've added food coloring. Key lime pie is a creamy, pale yellow. How does it compare to a lemon pie? World of difference or similar? World of difference. World of difference. They're just—it's not even close. Uh, the key lime pie is a very sweet pie. It's sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, women is more tart. It, it's yeah. tart pie, but the the difference between lime and lemon is—you know—the difference between apples and oranges. Truly. Yeah. I noticed they, and, and my, another one that was very good at Baker Square. It is, I guess it's a chocolate type of pie. It was this, the French silk pie was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, like those, Walden, huh? I will break your fingers if you try to take my chocolate silk pie. <laughs> oh, another thing. Now, uh, wait a minute. Have you ever had German chocolate cake? Oh, I will break your fingers if you try to take my German chocolate cake. Yes. I've, uh, I've been told, by the way, that that's an American recipe, not German. Really? I hear it never came from Germany. Really? That's what someone, my mother read that to me in a newspaper article. I would guess that, except um, I thought that the the type of chocolate came from Bavaria. Maybe maybe that's it, but 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 but, but that's what she read. She read it. Some, of course, it may have been a miss. Uh, the columnist may have gotten it wrong too. You know that there are people to this oh, that, day, that, I guess, that believe that uh, that uh, what is it? They believe chop suey is Chinese food. I hear well, it actually isn't. Well, chop chop sticks actually came from San Francisco. Yeah, chop mm-hmm. suey. Chop sticks and Caesar salad came from Mexico. Right. You know, to, you know. Did pizza really come from Italy? I don't know. <laughs> no, it didn't. Is that, a Cal- is that a New York thing? Um, I can't remember where it started, but it wasn't Italy. 
Yeah. Oh, it was it was one of the countries over there. All right, now here here is something. So, what is the history of German chocolate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was. <laughs> so this is so cool. German's sweet chocolate is a dark baking chocolate created by the Walter Baker and Company employee named Samuel German. Okay. Okay. Isn't that name cool? Is a proper name. It's a proper name, Samuel German. It's German chocolate. Okay, that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. It says it was in 1852. Now, of course, everything on the Internet is true. But, I mean, it, it, it looks like a legitimate site here. It's thejoyofbaking.com. So, <laughs> so, it's, oh, there it is. Um, Baker's Chocolate sells this chocolate, which can be found in the baking aisle of most stores. Now, Baker's Chocolate is, um, and I always thought it was like you're baking a cake type baker. Mm -hmm. That's Walter Baker. So it's Walter Baker and Company that makes Baker's chocolate. And that company had an employee named Samuel German who Ooh. made this dark chocolate, and that's where German chocolate came from. Now, isn't there a chocolate? I love so much. Now, isn't there a chocolate that's not really sweet, that's bitter? It's a, uh, yeah, bittersweet. Is that like Dutch chocolate or something? Yeah, Baker's chocolate is unsweetened chocolate. And that's probably what you use for some recipes They have to add sugar to it, right? Yes. Okay. Um, you'll use it, for example, with um, frosting. If you're making a chocolate icing for a cake, you'll you'll use the um, the unsweetened because you're going to, you know, just pile it up with sugar. I noticed that uh, Dutch chocolate is, is, isn't Dutch chocolate a darker or thicker, uh, more bitter chocolate? Or am I thinking of another type of thing, Dutch chocolate? Chocolate. Okay, let's see. Dutch chocolate. I don't know. I'm learning everything here. Okay. Dutch chocolate. Do we believe Wikipedia? Uh, well, I, I looked up a few things to help me with some of my interviews, some background information, and, and uh, it seemed accurate. Of course, you, you always wonder when people write articles, you hope they're contributing the right information. Right. Okay. It says Dutch chocolate or Dutch chocolate, D-U-T-C-H-E-D, but still with a capital letter is chocolate that has been treated with an alkalizing agent to modify its color and give it a milder flavor compared to natural cocoa extracted with the broma process, whatever that is. It forms the basis for much of the modern chocolate and is used in ice cream, hot cocoa, and baking. Mm -hmm. It was developed by Dutch chocolate maker Conrad Johan Van Houten. Now, there's going to be a test next week, so you remember that, Jim. Van Houten. Conrad Van Houten. Yes, Conrad Johannes Van Houten. So is cocoa uh, a, a, a derivative of chocolate? No, cocoa is chocolate. I mean, cocoa chocolate comes from the cocoa bean, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> While you're there, can we do our can we do our pizza question about the origin of pizza? Just pizza. Why, sure. Why not? <laughs> chocolate pizza. Uh, someone told me it was never really originated in Italy. Oh, it, it did not. Chocolate. And I should remember this because I used to do work for a. Um, Pizza maker. Chocolate pizza. History of pizza. Mediterranean cuisine. Pizza is a type of dish that has existed since time immemorial. Isn't that a great phrase? In the Middle Eastern and Mediterranean cuisine. By 997, the term had appeared in medieval Latin. And in 16th century, Naples uh, flatbread was referred to a, a Galette, G-A-L-E-T-T-E, -T -T -E. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. A galette flatbread was referred to as pizza. 
Okay, so it was a baker's tool that dough used to verify the temperature of the oven. Isn't that interesting? Yes. It was a dish of the poor people. Well, that sounds right. You know, you put all the leftovers on top of a chunk of bread. So it, it was a Mediterranean dish, but it is not Italy. Right. Well, you know, it certainly, you know, I, I think about just how popular pizza is one of the few foods, maybe the only one now, that can still be delivered to, in many cities that can still be delivered to your house. You know, it used, used to be a fried chicken firm called Chicken Delight in the 60s where you could have chicken delivered. Actually, Kentucky Fried Chicken can be delivered at home. It can now? Yeah. i I gone to see, see elected, we do deliver Kentucky Fried. We can have Chinese food delivered. We can have sandwiches and... I guess I'm doing deli does, but but it just seems, and I guess it depends on where you live. Yeah, it sounds like local laws. I never heard of of um, having a restriction on what kinds of food can be delivered. I well, mean, many restaurants probably I, don't want to pay the uh, pay the drivers, maybe or the gas or whatever. But yeah, but you know, I, getting back to pizza, you know, my my family, I was telling my mom, they never grew up with pizza. It was sort of when I you know went out and about and they probably late teens or 20s, mm-hmm. pizza became popular. What I'm thinking, I think pizza was more, became more popular after the Second World War. I think it did. You rarely heard about it. You're right. When you hear even old-time radio shows, when you hear about people ordering things, yeah. you, you you might order spaghetti, maybe. Mm-hmm. Spaghetti, yes. But you don't hear pizza even. Re- mm-hmm. You don't hear pizza referred to much. No. Uh, what, you know, when you think about most of your fast foods, Hamburgers, milkshakes, all those things. You're probably the post-war years is when all those things really became uh-huh. popular. But you look at McDonald's started in 1940. Locally, right, yeah. and then it became national in '55, right? Right. And then went, and there were, and then there were a lot of local drive-ins, you know, that people have. But I hear the one that really is successful. I guess In-N-Out started in '48. '49. Uh huh. '49. And they've really, they've really, they're really popular with a lot of people. They, they, yeah, it's a West, it's a California phenomenon. Hmm. Um, you know, they 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 serve the best, they're best eating hot. You know, the hamburgers and fries, you know, shakes, and I think I, I it might be found by some uh, strong Christian because there's Christian sayings on the bags, you know. I didn't know that. Yeah, scriptures and things. Um, okay. But which, which one was this? In and out. Out. In and out. It's oh, over. I thought you were talking about like a category. No, the, the In and Out type restaurants. I didn't realize that there was a place named In and Out. It's a fast food chain, especially in California, called In and Out Hamburgers. Never heard of it before. Yeah. Um. Well, I was just thinking, Jim. You know, when did Car Hop become popular? It has to be. I've heard like. I know, do have. I've heard a Dragnet episode in 1950 when Joe Friday and Ben Romero are ordering their order at a drive-in. And I know, and I know, I've heard a suspense in '46 with Judy Garland and Elliot Lewis with a car hop. Yeah, right. But I, I wondered that more of a it has to be a post-war thing. Probably started in California too, I would imagine. Of course, the drive-in theater became a post. Um, I guess there were a few before, but after World War II, the drive-in movie theater became really popular. I want drive-in. I want the drive-in theater came, came from California. Probably so, but you know, drive-ins are pretty much extinct. They're yeah, hard. They used to be in every community, and they're very hard to find now. Yeah, I've seen like two pictures in my lifetime at a drive-in, and they, by by the early '80s, I think they were pretty much gone. I enjoyed it. My, mm-hmm. We used to go all the time. Uh, it's kind of fun just to sit in the car because you know it's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and then the theater seats, and you have the speaker on the window, and then somehow the food, the hot dogs, and the and the popcorn and stuff taste better at a drive-in. I don't know. Maybe it's just my childhood memories of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're. It's really. Uh, I, I want to wish you a wonderful Thanksgiving on Thursday. Well, let me ask you this, Jim. Before you get away, when you were growing up, what kind of restaurant would your family go to if they if you if you decide to go out to eat? Would it be a type of would it be a, a normal diner? Would it be a certain type? Go to a cafeteria. A cafeteria, okay. We might go to a restaurant. We might occasionally, we'd go to a drive-in occasionally. My mom always liked drive-ins more than my dad did. Mm-hmm. I guess because it's just easy to just get the food home and eat it or eat it in the car. We, we, we It was a Mexican drive-in restaurant we went to, one, one place we live. We went to, uh, 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 we had some local drive-ins that were pretty good. There was, there was, uh, there's one drive-in that was promoted really big in Shreveport, Louisiana in 1962 called The Farm, where they said the burgers were out of this world and all of that. But the only problem was we sat on the benches at the uh, drive-in. You know, they were like picnic tables, and unfortunately, there were flies all over the place, mm-hmm. which kind of inhibited your enjoyment of the meal, you know, when flies buzzing around you. That's not a, a little good. bit. Now, if you think about it, I think cafeteria is something that got out of style. Cafeteria? Yes, yeah, I don't. I don't, at least out here in Southern California, really, there's not really any cafeterias. There's one in Long Beach that we used to go to that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh. I know there's a famous one in L.A. that they've never turned anybody down for a meal. They've always made sure if you couldn't pay, they, they fed you anyway. And I can't remember. Oh. Which, I can't, I can't remember which one it was in, in California. It's always been a policy for 70 some odd years. If you need a meal, you can come in and get it. We went to a we went to a my former landlady and I went to a restaurant in San Jose, a smorgasbord place called the King's Table. And one thing we noticed, there were a lot of and it was an all you can eat type of place. And we noticed one thing when we were in there one night, there were a lot of elderly people that came in there, and they they probably were on fixed incomes, I would imagine, or low incomes or something, because that was probably their big meal of the day or the week, maybe. You know, having that you know all that food there. Yeah. And it uh, the, those places, I guess hometown is sort of a cafeteria, isn't it? You, you sort yeah, of... the country buffet, I guess the, uh, the town, town. I think that's more of a buffet, but I guess you could call it. Well, I mean, if you, to me, pick, to me, uh, cafeteria is when you put things on a tray and yeah. the waitress doesn't serve you. Correct. Uh, and I think a buffet, I, I guess I think a, a cafeteria is different from a buffet. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, maybe. maybe it's... A cafeteria, you have somebody on the other side of the counter, and you say, I'll have two of those and one of those. Right. And you get it done to your plate, whereas a buffet, you get to help yourself. Right, and, then, and then the restaurant, the regular restaurants, when the waitress, you just give your order to the waitress or waiter, and, and they come back and serve you. Yeah. I, I remember more cafeterias being in hospitals for, as a kid. Yeah. I think that's probably a, uh, a, a normal way for they, them to serve. Uh-huh. School was always cafeteria. Yeah, that's right. In school. Uh, well, I always remember there was an old kitty record I had once, and I don't remember the, the basic nature of the song was uh, they were singing about the kids in the school cafeteria having their lunches, and there was a line about we had bread and gravy on Monday, and we had it on Tuesday. By Thursday, we were pretty fed up and asked for something different instead. So on Friday when we went for lunch, we had gravy without any bread. <laughs> oh, gee. Something like that. I remember that from my childhood for some reason. 
Oh, this has not been a good night. How about Thanksgiving? What did you have for Thanksgiving dinners? Okay. Turkey, dressing. My mother made an excellent cornbread stuffing. I wish I had her recipe. Uh, you know, maybe next year I can have, maybe my dad has a copy of it. Maybe I can email it to Alden or have it have it sent to you. But it was that a wonderful cornbread dressing. Cranberry sauce, generally. Sweet potatoes. Uh, she would make a fruit salad with pecans and bananas and apples and different fruits with whipped cream. Uh, hot rolls. And generally, the dessert would either be pumpkin and mincemeat or mincemeat and, or pecan pie or both. And uh, what we, because the turkey lasted so long, by the way, another thing you'll notice about Thanksgiving, do you notice that the dressing and turkey somehow always tastes better on Friday, the second day? Yes, it does. It's one of those that if it just sits and kind of blends together, it's, I agree. It tastes good on Thursday, don't get me wrong, but on Friday. I know. Stuffing. It tastes good even my dinner. It just a sandwich. Stuffing's my favorite part of the meal. Yeah, I love stuffing. Oh yes. And yeah. by the way, do you like your do you like your turkey stuffed or do you like to have the stuffing separate from the turkey? I grew up being separate, so I've never had it the other way. Neither did I. Mm-hmm. What about you, Patricia? I grew up with it stuffed, mm-hmm. and it was good, but it wasn't consistent. Mm. Like sometimes it was drier than others. Really. But I'm a good turkey stuffer. So I always is- like to. Oh, you'll have to. You'll have to play. Uh, maybe some year you can play for Patricia, the famous couple next door show, where they're trying to get the turkey into the roaster. I think she might enjoy that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the the. Um, and the roaster's too small. The roaster's too small. Yeah. The Bickersons had one. Um, John came home late, and there was a turkey. I'm sure it was a turkey, that. Blanche had left in the kitchen, and, of course, she was yammering at him when he got to the bedroom. And she said, did you have it? Did you eat the turkey? And he said, yes, but I didn't like the stuffing. And she said, what stuffing? <laughs> she had not taken all of the, everything that gets stuffed inside the bird, like the neck and the, and the gizzards and stuff like that. Oh, oh, boy. Hadn't taken it out, and he ate it. <laughs> he said, I didn't like the stuffing. She said, I didn't make any stuffing. <laughs> Well, 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 that, well, that, this one was really funny because you know they have they, they you know you you you, it, you plan for your meal and and then the darn roaster's too small you know for the mm-hmm. what you think about it cranberry sauce when else do you have cranberry sauce well sometimes you know you're right you or, know, or yam yams another one I think those two meals are very much holiday uh, type for Thanksgiving you don't really have it any other time of the year. Well, my mother generally made a policy of not doing turkey at Christmas. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we generally would have a roast at Christmas, either a ham or a roast mm-hmm. at Christmas. Because, you know, I guess because it was too soon after Thanksgiving. And you know, a lot of people have turkey both times. Your mom got worn out after cooking all day. She didn't want to do it two days in a row, I guess. Well, that may be the reason. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but then she might have the turkey New Year's, maybe. Uh... <laughs> But but uh, but we generally did a roast on Christmas. Mm-hmm. How about you, Patricia? Did you do a roast Christmas or a ham, or do you do turkey both times? Or I think we did turkey both times. Mm-hmm. That's an I think. And well, how about was... now? Do you do tur- do you do both um, now, or do you generally just do the turkey at Thanksgiving? I I beg your pardon. At right now, do you do turkey mainly at Thanksgiving and something else on Christmas, or do you do both? 
I do turkey, turkey both turkey. times. This now. Turkey, 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 turkey. Yeah. Turkey. I like turkey. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, my another thing we did at Christmas. My my parents would order a smoked turkey every Christmas, and we would have like turkey. We always had smoked turkey. You know, that's turkey that's kind of you know smoked with a real strong spice, a barbecue. Tar- it's smoked, and we can eat it cold. Mm-hmm. Sandwiches, and we would have those sandwiches like Christmas Eve. We'd have like a smoked turkey sandwich Christmas Eve with some soup. Mm-hmm. That was always sort of a Christmas Eve tradition of ours. Also, um, did you? We would. We also had a tradition. We would open one package on Christmas Eve night when our presents were wrapped, and then we might order. We might open the rest. One year we ordered. A, well, when we were little, the one from the relatives we would order on. We would open on Christmas Eve night, and then. Of course, wait for Santa the next morning for their big presents. But then later, as we got older, we would open one present on Christmas Eve night and the rest on Christmas morning. Somehow opening them all on Christmas Eve night takes kind of the fun out of Christmas, you know, that excitement about Christmas Day after all the mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I have something. Uh, if we can, um, I'm, I want to take a right turn here. Yep. Okay. Drive-in movies originated in New Jersey, guys. How many movies? Drive-in movies. They did? That's what it says. Wow. Richard Hollingshead, a young sales manager at his dad's Wiz Auto Products, had a hankering to invent something that combined his two interests, cars and movies. Hmm. He experimented in his own driveway at 212 Thomas Avenue in Camden, New Jersey. The inventor mounted a 1928 Kodak projector on the hood of his car and projected it onto a screen he had nailed to trees in the backyard. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Wow. That's where it started. Wow. Camden, New Jersey. Woo. Thank you, Richard. Camden, New Jersey. So, there. Some things can start on the East Coast. <laughs> right. Well, that's cool. Um, Look at the, main, the the Thanksgiving parade started on the East Coast. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> and gimbals and all of those. And what else? Something else uh, must have. Coney Island started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, is Coney Island? A lot of people still go there, or is Coney Island? How do we know if it's even open? I, I don't. There, there is no more amusement park. I think there's probably a beach there. Yeah. Well, you know, that's another, you know, most people think of California as amusement parks, but, you know, Chicago had Riverview that was very famous for years of an amusement park, and San Francisco, I guess, had one called Playland by the Beach or at the Beach, and those were very popular. I guess in California now, I guess, uh, are Disneyland, do Disneyland, Walden, and Knox Ferry Farm still get, I guess, they? of course, we know Disneyland gets a lot of business every day. Does Knox Knox still get a lot of business every day? Yeah, all the amusement parks here. Uh, Big time business. All of those, right? Six Flags Magic Magic Mountain still open? Yep. Yeah. Basically, Disneyland itself average 50,000 people a day. Wow. Um... And the biggest time is the 4th of July where they hit 74,000. Yeah. And they clear, because I had a friend who worked in the accounting department, they figured every person that walked into Disney spent a minimum of 30 bucks. I understand, too, that they have a record. When you visit Disneyland, they can tell you what number customer you are since 1955, right? They actually have. I think I wouldn't be surprised, because you got the turnstile, so that's how they can tell. 
That's amazing. Yeah. I went to Disneyland once when I was a child in 1961, and my memory of it was I did something truly awful. In shaking his hands, I accidentally stepped on Mickey Mouse's toe. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you poor kid. Yeah, I felt, I felt like that's, I thought I was, that's almost like desecrating an American symbol. Or... <laughs> oh, but it's true. With a child, of course you would have felt terrible. Yeah. But uh, he was on. He, 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 well, he was understanding. <laughs> I apologize to him. You know. Is that, uh, you walked with uh, a limp forever since then. Huh? He's been walking with a limp ever since. Maybe so. Yeah. But you know. But but as I recall, Knott's Berry Farm was pretty far. I mean, it, it was more. It's more geared towards the. I know they did their jellies, and you had like the stagecoach rides and things like that. Oh, originally it was it was a Mrs. Knott's Chicken Farm, a chicken uh, restaurant. And the line got so popular, Walt, because that's where boysenberry jam and boysenberry was developed, and it got so popular, so he decided people need something to do. So he built a movement. He built, he built a ghost town and a movement in Rise, and it was all free. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, and I guess by the 60s, they started to get the game on it, and that's when they started to put a, uh, to finish it off. Right. But, uh... He wanted something for people to do while they wait to go in and have something to eat. Well, and, another and one rest, I remember. And, and the restaurant hold 1,000 people. It can be 1,000 people sitting down. And fried chicken is their specialty. Correct. Well, the other one I remember, it's, it's gone now, but when we visited in 61 and we saw it again in 76 when my relatives came and we moved back, mm-hmm. was Marineland of the Pacific. And uh, it, was it Palos Verdes? Where was Marineland? Palos Verdes, was it? Or... Marine Land. Um, they closed it. It's been yeah. I don't remember that. I remember they had Lion Country Safari. Right. Where you could drive, and you could pass all the wild animals. Hmm. We have we we have Sea World, and things like that here. Well, it was a fun. You know, it was Marine Land was fun. Marine Land. That that rings a bell. Yeah. Marine Bubbles the whale was there, as I recall. Yeah. Um, it was a uh, it was a nice place to visit. Uh. We've had, I know in Florida, I'm sure, Patricia, Disney World gets a lot of visitors. Huge. What? Huge. And I, they've got Universal Studios right next door. Um, when I was in Florida in the 70s, what was the thing with the uh, ocean? With the, the Oh, SeaWorld? SeaWorld, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very popular. The Shamu. Shamu. The killer whales yeah. that Ugh. are living up to their names. That's true. Oh. Well, you know, it's been, uh, there's been so many, um, of course, there were so many um, things, you know, that you could uh, that you could see and visit. Uh, so many people, and I guess the universe, in L.A., I guess the Universal, did they, I, heard, I heard they made some change in the Universal Tour recently. I guess those things are still popular, aren't they? Yeah, they're still popular, but a lot of it is more and more rise, and a lot of it are more and more current movies, you know. Yeah. But uh, that's what's going on with Universal Studio. Well, you know, the you know the uh, so many people want to see you know the, the newer things, right. yes, than the older than the old history. It's like what you and Dr. Beale and I were talking about a few weeks ago about the Museum of I'll still call it by its old name, the Museum of Television and Radio. I refuse to say the the Paley Center. Uh-huh. Uh, we were talking about how when people go to the museum, they want to watch things that they can readily see at home, like the last Seinfeld episode, right? Thing rather than something from broadcast history. So right. So that's changed a lot. But I want to wish both of you a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too, Jim. 
Uh, we want to remind people, by the way, I don't know if you've had a chance yet, we've got a, well, we have a very special program coming up on Friday night, the day after Thanksgiving and before the auction. Yeah, true. We're celebrating the last two days of the soaps. Right. Fifty years, Patricia, this week, November 25th, 1960, many radio historians, at least two major ones, consider that to be the official end of the golden age of radio, even though there was one more hour of drama till 62. But... Radio as we know it pretty much ended with CBS in 1960, pulling the towel on the last seven daytime serials. And literally pulling it out from under them. Yeah, plus Amos and Andy came in that weekend and... Have done, will travel. travel. Uh, and then next week, starting Monday, November 28th, CBS Radio shifted the emphasis to news, 10 yeah. minutes of news on the hour and short news features. They still had a few entertainment things like Arthur Godfrey and Art Linkletter for a while, but radio as we know it ended 50 years ago this week, mm -hmm. this coming week. And it was a, you know, a sad occasion, but, but one that you know, we, we remember because to my knowledge, we're the only ones in the country that are even recalling the 50th anniversary this year. Well, we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing it, so. Well, anyway, you have a wonder. By the way, Patricia, I did get your Truman thing. Right now, it's just a matter of locating it. Now that we're moving, but I did get it just before we left. Well, I am going to send you something else. Um, I know I've got some new history stuff, and um, only if you're interested, would you like the world's awfulest shows? Yes. So you need or on a regular MP3 though. So we need a new address from from you, Jim. Oh yeah, I need to give that. I guess I can give that to Walden later. Or email it to me, or or Patricia, or whatever. Or give it to me later. You bet. Yeah, it's it, actually it's just a few blocks down the street. So <laughs> uh, at least we didn't go ten miles. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's always happy Thanksgiving, Patricia. And happy Thanksgiving to you too, Jim. I I hope you're settled in by the time it's turkey time. Well, we're we're not right now. We're just trying to decide on a one of their prepared dinners, or to bring a turkey home. My housemate now is more in favor of bringing a regular turkey home. She says you really get more for your money than you do with the prepared with the prepared dinners that you heat up. I don't so, know if you. So you're gonna you're gonna kill it yourself and everything. Uh, well. The area, oh, are you talking yeah. about the, way, what did you, did you, the markets that uh, put together your entire dinner with a turkey and mashed potatoes yeah, and vegetables? Yeah, does it, Have you ever had one of those? I've heard, no, a couple of people have told me about them, and they're wonderful, they said. That's what we, yeah, but it, I guess it's the amount. Uh, that's what we're doing. You know, Traditionally, the last several years, we go ahead and pre-order it, and all you do is bring it home and warm it up, and it, it's, pretty, it's a nice way to go. Did you enjoy, by the way, those two, those two Jack Benny turkey stories? There were two. One in 43 where he dreams he's a turkey. <laughs> and then there's one in 47 when there, when he's put on trial by a jury of turkeys. I don't recall ever having heard those two. <laughs> yeah, November 21st, 1943. That, I'll give you the date, November 21st. That's where he maybe you can find it in your collection. That's where he dreams he's a turkey. Okay, 43. I mean... Uh, November is just as long. Okay, so 43 and 47. 47. 47. 43 and 47. Okay. And I'll give you something to laugh about on Thanksgiving week. <laughs> okay. And the, the, the jury of turkeys, I, if I remember right, Frank Nelson was the judge. Oh, that but, would be perfect. Okay. Have a good week. Thank you, Jim, and I hope you get settled soon. And I'll talk to you soon, Walden. All right, Jim. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Gobble, gobble.
Gobble, gobble. 714-545-2071. It's your turkey hotline number. If you want to know how to prepare a turkey, I imagine we can look that up for you. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe Hello. we don't have to. Hello there. You're on with Patricia. Yeah, hi, Patricia Walden. It's Ralph checking in. Ralph! Ralph, where have you been? Boy, did we miss you last week. Yes, I, I, uh, I was just busy being a, a housekeeper last week. Well, you're allowed to do that. I just wanted you to know we missed you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I was listening uh, to the previous caller. His name Jim, I believe? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he was talking about pizza. Yeah. Uh, I can remember as a child in in New Jersey, I was probably six years old. I'm talking about 1940. And there was a place in the area that made the, the pizza pies. Uh-huh. They called them, and they had a sign outside that said tomato pie. Oh, my goodness. No yeah. reference to pizza whatever. Huh. I never heard that term. Did you ever see it again anywhere? Never. But I, you know, it stuck in my head. I said, "Well, what is it? You know, I've never seen one. What is this? Oh, that's a tomato pie." And they had a sign outside, a big sign that flashed on and off, "Tomato pie." Oh my gosh! I never heard that before. Yeah, well, you haven't been here long enough. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll try to do better. I'm going as fast as I can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that was one thing, and, and then when I moved to New York, it became pizza. How interesting! Everybody called it pizza. Uh huh. And I don't know if it's true or not, but an Italian friend of mine told me that pizza means pie. Huh. They refer to other pies as pizza, with uh, some additional, you know, telling you what's in it. They make. Mm-hmm. They make an egg pie at Christmas time with sausage in it, and they refer to that as some kind of pizza. So, in New York, when you guys were growing up, was I'm assuming you had a little Italy. If that would be most the pizza places would be. Oh, there were a lot, yeah. 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 And you know, a big old pizza. If you if we used to get together and go and chip in on one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big old pizza was a dollar. Wow. And the soda was a nickel. Oh, my. So if we could get a quarter a piece, we used to go in there and, and have pizza. <laughs> a good pizza now, they 27 bucks, you know. <laughs> yeah, you forget about it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to mention that. And and also the, 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 the uh, car hops. Uh-huh. The place my brother used to take me, and they, they, they delivered the food on roller skates. The car hops had roller skates. I heard uh-huh. about that, yeah. Yeah, and it was uh, a Hires Root Beer place. Okay. One of the highways near home. Mm. I didn't even know Hires had root beer place. I mean, I know Hires is a root beer, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I, I knew A&W had places, but I didn't know Hires did. Well, as I recall, they, they, they did have at least mm. one. Well, that. And uh, I used to get... You'd be very uh, amused by these girls on the roller skates because they were pretty good on them. Well, on um, Happy Days, the yeah. the show Happy Days, yeah, they had oh yeah yeah, yeah hops yeah. were on roller skates. Yeah yeah, you're right. How am I doing? Oh, you're doing good now. 
You're much I'm older not... than I thought. How am I pulling it? Do you want a Thanksgiving question? Mm. <laughs> what, what's a Thanksgiving question? <laughs> trivia questions. I got trivia questions. Oh, my goodness. I'll try. Oh, they're, they're really rough. I'll try. Well, oh, here, I'll, do you want a hard one or an easy one? I probably won't get it right anyhow, so give me a hard one. <laughs> okay, let me, let me give you a hard one, and then I'll go to the regular one. All right, this is multiple choice. You got two possibilities on this. Okay. Potatoes, potatoes were not served at the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims. Was it because the potatoes were not introduced to this country until the 1800s, or was it because they thought they were poisonous? I don't know about potatoes, but I know that they believed tomatoes were poison. Yeah. Uh, You're like Walden. I ask him a question, and he'll. Yeah. Well, my mind goes. All that the way. information I don't need. <laughs> oh, you too. Uh, I, I guess it was that they were not introduced here. Well, you had a 50-50 chance, Ralph. Yeah. Did I blow really? it? I'm sorry. They thought it was poisonous. Really? Yeah. Well, that's what the information I pulled together today said. Okay, here's your here's your real question. <laughs> what state is Plymouth Rock in? Plymouth Rock. I, I, you know, I want to say Massachusetts. There you go. You always do that to yourself. If you say, I don't know if this is the right answer, I want to say, and you're always right. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm getting lucky. <laughs> well, you're right. Plymouth Rock is in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, see? <laughs> I don't know, sure. Uh, what else I want to... Oh, you talk... Are you ready? Yes. Three pounds of lean beef. Uh-huh. One and a half pounds of suet. Ah, uh, yes, suet. Tony thought suet was in there. Oh, yeah, it's in there. I mean, this is not a low-calorie thing here. <laughs> so you have to have uh, two and a half pounds of apples, two pounds of chopped raisins, two pounds of currants, two pounds of sugar, two cups of molasses, Here's a question for you. One gill of rose water, the rind and juice of four lemons, a pint of brandy, salt, mace, cloves, cinnamon, pepper, ginger, um, and vanilla extract. That's what's in it. Wow. I ate that. Wow. Love minced meat. <laughs> you I like haven't it? had it in like years and years. I do remember it. Like it? Oh, yeah. I liked it a lot. Okay. Now, what is a gill of rose water? Say it again, please. A gill, G-I-L-L, -L, of rose water. You want to know what the measurement gill is? Do you you knew it was a measurement? Yes. Um, but I don't know what proportion it is in, in comparison to our standards. Do you know how long it took me to find out that it was a liquid measure? I'm so impressed, Ralph. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Really am, and it, it said according to the information I got, it's a quarter of a pint, which would make it four ounces. Four ounces, yeah. Huh. 
which would be okay. eight tablespoons, right? I, I, I have heard of it. But I never heard of that before. I never had any idea, you Robin know, didn't hear how of it either. Portioned. You're the Saturday night smarty. <laughs> wow. Says I'm a smarty, too. You are. <laughs> okay, now I have to send you something. And I have something really special this week, and you can say no if you don't want it. But I have a whole new file of awful shows. Oh, I heard you talk about that. Oh, Ralph, they're so awful. You'll love them. Barely written, poorly acted. Above. <laughs> I love that. Okay, well, you're going to get some awful shows then. I'm having a special on awful shows tonight. Okay. That's good. And I wanted, the last time I called, I told you about a car called the, I, I said it was the Tucker. I was wrong. It was it's a Turner. Turner. Okay. All right. I have some car information here. Let me see if Turner is in here. But there was a Tucker too, I think, at one time. Hmm. Well, I I looked up on the internet and I couldn't I couldn't find uh-huh. a Tucker, but I found a Turner, and that's the one I was talking about. When you were talking about, okay, was it was it a good car? Well, we only made about forty five. 47 of them to, to actually compete. I remember you telling us that, yes. And uh, it was a real, I would call it like a concept car. Uh-huh. It had some unique ideas. Uh, interesting. Like it had well, it's interesting that you're talking about cars because one of the things, I was out looking for 1949 information because that's when our uh, Fibber McGee and Molly Turkey show was. Uh, it was the, for Thanksgiving of 1949. And one of the things I came across was an article in Time magazine from 2008 that was called The 50 Worst Cars of All Time. Oh, my. It's <laughs> priceless, absolutely priceless. Um, and the, the one for 1949, now not every year had a bad car, but the one for 1949 was the Crosley Hot shot. Oh yeah, I can believe that. Do that you was a, know what they're talking about? Yeah, that was a little tiny thing. Some some neighbor of mine had one, and she had the whole rear seat taken out of it, and she carried a Saint Bernard in the thing. <laughs> That's funny. Well, down the street, and that big old head'd be sticking out of the car. <laughs> That's funny. Well. What I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know any of this, for heaven's sakes. I, do you know that the Jaguars made it on the list twice, the worst cars in the world? Um, it was Powell Crosley Jr., the radio Crosley, yes. designed this thing. Uh-huh. Isn't that a hoot? That sure is. Okay, it says this first sports car produced in post-war America, and it was a major hunk of junk. <laughs> that's, that's what they wrote. Uh, you know, you, it you was mentioned, 1,100 pounds and 145 inches long. Yeah. So that's what, like 12 feet? That's a big car. Ooh. Well, you, you should see one with a, a St. Bernard in it. You'd love it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Well, it, it said it, it had a... You you guys would know what this is. I don't know. It says what killed the hotshot was its engine, a dual overhead cam with okay. 0.75 liter, three-quarter of a liter, four-cylinder, not in cast iron, but brazed together from pieces of stamped tin. Oh, These brazed uh, welds let go, as they often <laughs> got very noisy and very hot. <laughs> so, 
so that's what they said about the 1949 Crosley. You know, uh, another, uh, you mentioned Jaguar. Uh-huh. Yeah, I used to do a, a little wrench turning, you know, a little mechanical work here and there. Uh-huh. And I found the Jaguar to be not good at all. Oh, Very hard okay. to work on. Wow. Well, it's made the list. Let me go down here. It's uh, 1974 Jaguar XKE. Oh, the XKE. That was a popular car, too. Wow. That, that made the bad list. Um, there are a lot of those. And the 2001 Jaguar X made it. A BMW made it. A Lamborghini. In 1986, the Lamborghini made it on this. I mean, I can't imagine a Lamborghini and a Maserati. Do they uh, show Porsche on there at all? Uh, no, Porsche wasn't on here. Let me let me just double check. Nope, it was never on the list. Hmm. How about that? But they did have one, a 1957 King Midget Model 3. Oh. No, I'd never even heard of that. Okay, well, probably because... It, <laughs> it only made one. <laughs> I am not kidding you. It looks like a cereal box with a windshield. <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, Claude Dry and Dale Orcutt of Athens, Ohio. In the late 40s, they began offering the single-seat Model 1 as a home-built $500 kit containing the frame, axles, sheet metal patterns, so the body panels could be fabricated by local tradesmen. Any single-cylinder engine would fit it. Amazingly, Midget Motors continued to develop and sell mini cars until the late 1960s. The crown jewel was then the Model 3, introduced in 1957, a little folded steel cracker box powered by a nine-horsepower motor. Government safety standards at long last put the King Midget out of our memory. <laughs> so they're like a Briggs & Stratton lawnmower engine. Uh, yes, and then there was the the Waterman Aerobile, the one that flew, a car that flew. Oh, I, I, I've seen that. Yes, well, I didn't copy the whole thing. It said, Waldo Waterman's one working car plane, just a single one, that's all he got to build. Yeah. One working car plane eventually wound up in the Smithsonian where it can't kill anyone. <laughs> well, they also had a, a, a car that was... Uh that could go in the water. Oh, yes. That one's oh, on the list as well. I've seen that one in person. That was an Amphicar in 1961. Yep. And, and aside from all of the bad stuff that they said about it, like um, in, in water, top speed was seven miles an hour, um, that its, its flotation was entirely dependent on whether the bilge pump could keep up with the leakage. If not, the Amphicar became the world's most aerodynamic anchor. <laughs> so even so, a large number, nearly 4,000 cars, built between 1961 and 1968, are still on the road in the water. Wow. I think 4,000 of them are still out there. Probably fiberglass them now. I don't know. So they wouldn't leak. Yeah, they, yeah dip them in oil or something. Oh, and uh, as a point of interest, there, there's a Volkswagen. It's a mini, mini, mini car. It looks like a, almost like an aircraft cockpit cover. Does it look, does, does it sound like Zunbop Janus? Does that sound right? I don't know the name, but they make it in China. Oh, oh, I know which one you mean. Uh, and uh, you can import it through Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's only supposed to weigh like 600 pounds. 
Very tiny. Very tiny. I mean, if you get hit with a bicycle, you're dead. I get in there, it'd be 850 pounds. <laughs> You'll fix everybody. <laughs> I know you're not going to burn rubber with it, but <laughs> someone sent me it on an email. That's funny. I, I, and I did see pictures of them. There's one that's being made in India also that's very, very tiny. Uh, very that? tiny. But there's one, uh, when you said air, airline uh, cockpit, there's one that just, uh, it's impossible to describe. If you've ever seen a kid's kitty car yep. you know, with, the, with the foot pedals and you take the front end off it, that's what this thing looks like. It's got one very large side window. <laughs> um, built in Nuremberg, Germany, by the well-established motorcycle firm. Um, it is, it's got a 14-horsepower engine, giving it a top speed of 50 miles an hour, assuming that you can do it. <laughs> it's a unique feature. This was uh, 19, 1958. Its unique feature was the rear-facing bench seat, which meant passengers <laughs> passengers could watch in horror as traffic threatened to rear-end this rolling roadblock of a car. Oh. I mean, it, it really is wild. But I got another one for you. What? Uh, after World War II, uh-huh. out of Germany came a thing called, it was made by Messerschmitt, which was an aircraft company. Aircraft company, yeah. And it was, a, if I recall, it was a real tiny little car, but it was a three-wheeler. Okay, let's see here. Waterman? Nope. Nope. It's not on the list here. No, huh? Oh, it must have been. It must have been a little bit sturdier than than it sounds. Wasn't it the Volkswagen designed by the Germans back back in the 30s or something? Oh, way back, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was the... Uh, that, that was the affordable... It was going to give everybody yeah. one. It was yeah, that's what I thought. I thought that was sort of the, thing, the reason why everybody was saving the money to get the Volkswagen. It was the people's car. Yeah. The yeah, the people's car, that's correct. Mm-hmm. My <laughs> goodness, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Here's a very good one. It's called the Horsey Horseless from... <laughs> I'm serious, the Horsey... What's the name again? Horsey, H-O-R-S-E-Y, horsey, <laughs> horseless, like horseless carriage. Horse, yeah, okay. This was from 1899. Wow. Inventor Uriah Smith of Battle Creek, Michigan, was intended to soothe the skittish nerves of our equine servants, meaning people, mm-hmm. um, because they were, they were very... Uh, people were nervous about not having horses, and horses were nervous about not having horses in the front of these vehicles. So he made a wooden horse head and attached it to the front end of this electra, this um, car, this buggy. Yeah, I've never heard of that. And it made it resemble a horse carriage. <laughs> he recommended that the horse's head be hollow to contain the vehicle, to, in order uh, and contain vehicle fuel. Isn't that great? Oh, wow. <laughs> it was another great idea. But anyway, here is this little um, car, you know, with the great big spoked wheels and uh, the stick instead of uh, a steering wheel. And it's got a horse's head stuck in the front of it. It looks like something out of Godfather. I'm trying to picture it. <laughs> I wonder if it would be on the Internet. I could look it up. Oh, it was. I'll send you the, um, the address. 
Okay. It, there was a picture out there. It had all 50 cars listed in a row. And if you clicked on the car, you'd go to a site that showed you a picture of these things. So it was pretty cool. So here is, this one's only a drawing, of course, because they didn't have an 1899 picture. I'm sure there isn't one around here. A horsey, horseless. <laughs> I'll be darned. That's the beauty. <laughs> uh, 1949, uh, Crosley. I, that one caught my attention because it was Crosley Radio. Not only was it a bad car, it was a great radio. What radio station did Crosley own and built? I don't know. What the, did he own and build? The, the only 500,000 watt radio station in American history, WLWR Cincinnati. That was his famous. I wouldn't know that. That was his famous radio station. You're so smart. Well, yes. What president of the United States got arrested for speeding when he was in the White House? Oh. President? Yep. Oh. Goodness, you know, I'm going to have to take notes, Walden. Um, <laughs> Was he driving a car or riding a horse? Or? Oh, you're smart, Ralph, with a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Ralph. I don't know exactly who it was, but it sounds like Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, you're pretty close. You're with Grant. Okay. Grant was arrested for uh, for racing his horse too fast. Well, the... I, I have a friend whose father got a ticket for speeding on a bicycle. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he was an old Italian guy, and uh, he come roaring in the house, uh, spewing some uh, <laughs> unmentionable <laughs> words. <laughs> oh dear. He was going past this park in Nassau County, New York, mm -hmm. and they stopped him and gave him a ticket. Oh, gee. <laughs> wow, huh? That, yeah, that's a wow. That's a wow. This is the same man. His car broke down. Oh no! This is the one with the um. Oh, that's Edsel. Not the Edsel. Not the Edsel. He his car broke down upstate New York, and uh, he got out and got a hammer out of the trunk and started to beat the car up. <laughs> <laughs> this man did not have good fortune on wheels, did he? Oh, my friend says another man stopped and says, "Please, don't be." Don't beat on the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was like beating a dog or a horse. My goodness. Oh, that's terrible. Well, listen, I don't want to keep anybody else off from getting on. I, I really enjoyed talking to you, though. It is our pleasure. I'm so glad you're okay. We really did miss you last week. Oh, yeah, I'm all right. Tony had her foot operated on. And yeah, I know. How is she I'm, doing? I'm doing pretty good. Not you, her. I'm cooking. I'm, oh, you're doing... <laughs> I'm washing the floor. I'm doing the laundry. Oh, do you hire out? Well, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> do you do windows? Have you got enough? Uh, it depends on the price. Woo! I, uh, How much do you charge for windows? Well, where are these windows? Oh, in Florida. Well, you gotta have round trip air. Yeah, we have we have. And you gotta give me a per diem, mm -hmm. so that I could can live there while I'm doing these windows. Well, excuse me. <laughs> I figure I could do it for. But we have such perks here. We've got beaches and sunshine and palm trees and too many people. But you know, oh, we're cool. You know, I've been to Florida probably a dozen times, and it's it's I don't just too hot and humid for me. I can't stand it. Oh, you haven't been here at the right time of the year. Well, I, I, I was there in November, 
That's the right time of the year. Yeah, and we went to a drive-in movie, and the mosquitoes were driving us out. <laughs> How long ago was this? Oh, God. We don't, I, I don't know that there is a drive-in movie left here. It was, in, it was Fort Myers, as a matter of fact. No kidding. And uh, There used to be one in North Fort Myers, yeah. I had to go to the refreshment stand and buy this thing called a pick. And what it was, a, it was a coil that, that stood on a little wire stand. Huh? And you lit this. And this, the smell of it was supposed to uh, chase the mosquitoes away. Did it? No. <laughs> Did it chase you? <laughs> no, it didn't chase them away at all. I think they liked it. <laughs> they had learned to love it over the years. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah, it was Fort Myers, and that's, that's your home, right? Yeah, I'm in Fort Myers, yeah. yeah. I don't remember where it was, but... Uh... Uh, it was probably North Fort Myers. I say probably. I, I know that North Fort Myers had um, an outdoor movie, a drive-in movie, because they converted it into a flea market for a very long time. Yeah, they do that. They did that in, in California, too. Uh-huh. But there must have been others around here. That's the only one I know about. But Oh, I meant to give you the weather report. Oh, give me the weather report. It's snowing this morning. Oh, Are you serious? Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. You didn't get... It's to be our Christmas connection. <laughs> Terrible. We didn't get the breadth of it here, but Interstate 5 is closed in certain areas. Oh my! And and the uh, the Sierras, the, the roads are very bad. The skiers are happy. <laughs> so yeah, but gee whiz. <laughs> yeah, so we're supposed to get more. Was there any accumulation in your area? You know, there there could have been further uh, further along, but where where we live, it just happens to not snow a lot here. Mm -hmm. Two and a half miles away on a parallel road, uh -huh. they can get a foot and a half and we'll get two or three inches. You're just on the cusp there. Wow. Oh, the banana belt. <laughs> okay. I'll buy that. All right, listen, I'm going to say goodnight to you folks. Right. Okay, and happy Thanksgiving, Ralph. Thanks for you calling. You too. God bless you. Same here, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yep. That was fun. That was fun. 714-545-2071. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Patricia and I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Just in case we don't talk to you before then. Oh, we can do that. I know. We can do that. If you call, we can do that. Mm -hmm. So, want me to give you a quickie rundown on... Um, What's in some of the, the packages? Yeah, let's, do, let's, let's talk about the auction a bit. Let's what, talk about the auction a oh, bit. All right, what do we got? What, well, what the did... auction is a week from Sunday already. A week from today? That's right. For both of us, it's I Sunday, know. isn't it? I know. Already, my goodness. Okay, Sunday, a week from Sunday, which is today for a lot of people. Um, it is on the 28th. It will begin at about 3.30 Eastern Time, but it takes about a half an hour to gear up. Right. The items that will be auctioned off, Bill and Kim will review tomorrow on Sunday, right? Correct. 
Yeah, tomorrow night, Ladies about 8.30, they're going to start. Yeah, later tonight. Which is tonight. Well, yeah, Sunday. I'll just say Sunday so we don't confuse people because it's not Sunday for Ron yet. Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, this coming Sunday, as in right now this weekend, Kim and Bill will go through the list of items that are going to be up for bid next uh, Sunday on the 28th. And also at 8.30 tonight. That Eastern will start time. at 8.30 Eastern, right. Sunday the 21st. Which will be 15 hours from now. Okay. Okay. That sounds cool by me. So, hopefully, we'll have an hopefully idea Patricia of... Patricia and I will be out of bed by then. You know, she'll wake up in Florida, I'll wake up in California just in time to hear it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is good. Walden <laughs> will be with us in spirit, if not in body. <laughs> Uh, so the auction will be set up in what is called lots, meaning each bid will be for a group of items instead of a single item. You can bid by the, over the phone. You can bid in the chat room if you have a password. Uh, if you've made any kind of a contribution to Yesterday USA, you have a password. And you can get into the chat room and post your bids there as items that you like come up. Tomorrow, you'll have an opportunity for a sneak preview on what will be available on the 28th. Amen. Hooray! Right. You're a pro. You, you uh, got that yeah, down pat. I'll get there. One day, somebody's going to call and say, would you be our DJ for pay? <laughs> and I'll say, nah, I, I do it with Walden. I'm having a good time. Well, we'll go together. If we get the money, we'll, we'll hit the road. <laughs> I'll pull the cord at the same time. <laughs> If I pull the ripcord first, you hold on, okay? Right, you got it. Okay. You got so, it. can I give you a quickie rundown on the um, DVD and CD packages? The one that's coming from Fort Myers? The one that's coming from Fort Myers, because I will mail them out from here. All right. Um, I did go through the shows that I'm not um, intimately familiar with. I, I went through a lot of them, and I listened to as many of them as I could, but I'm talking about thousands of shows here. So uh, to the best of my ability, these are all acceptable to very good sound qualities on these discs. And if anybody has a problem, you just let me know and I'll replace them. So on one of them, um, each package has 10 DVDs and 17 CDs. One actually has a couple of more CDs because it's part of a package. But we've got, um, there are three. There are no duplicates in any of these, so if you want to bid on more than one package, um, each one will be different. So in number one, we've got five DVDs of Jack Benny shows. Wow. Five. Is that cool? That's good. We've got 191, 182, 180, 178, and then 25 plus history um, Christmas extra, a whole set of Christmas and holiday shows, miscellaneous specials, um, love letters, which is a, a really sweet presentation. So it's got a whole lot of miscellaneous stuff, and that's just the first one. This is still in lot number one. We've got all ten seasons that are available of Gunsmoke on two DVDs. We've got a Super Biggie and Molly DVD with 744 shows. Wow. Challenge of the Yukon DVD with 563 shows. Woo, woo. 
a World War II collection DVD with speeches, um, FDR, Winston Churchill, and Harry Truman, FDR's fireside chats, Voices from History, which is a really interesting collection, um, news reports, an entire um, collection of news reports from primarily from World War II, and sound bites and recordings from historic events. So those are the DVDs in that single package. Wow. Then we get to the CDs. CDs, we've got two CDs of Fred Allen shows, 60 and 57. 97, Aldrich Family, 105, Philip Marlowe, 52, Box 13, 60, Let George Do It, 34, Of the Shadow, 50, Lux Radio Theater, 88, Rocky Jordan Shows, 105, Escape Adventure Shows, 58, X Minus One, 202, You Bet Your Life, Ellery Queen. I didn't count these because we've got Ellery Queen Mysteries, a fair number of those, the regular half-hour shows. But then we've got a whole stack of Ellery Queen five-minute mysteries and Ellery Queen one-minute mysteries. I think there's 80 of the one-minute one out there. I don't know how many you have, but that's, there's a whole lot of those around. Oh, a lot. Yeah. There are a lot in there. We've got Lights Out, 799. Bob Hope, 122 shows. The Six Shooter, 38 shows. And Halls of Ivy, 50 shows. Hooray. That's in one collection. <laughs> that's one collection. Wow. So, um, we can talk about a couple of other things, and then I'll go to the next one. What would you like to talk about? Well, just remind everybody, there's still time to register this week. You can do it online or call Bill during the weekdays. And if you've got time, you can always donate. You can put something in the mail Monday or Tuesday. Kim will still put items up. Uh, when something comes into the house by Friday, she'll try to get them up there. Uh -huh. So, this will be a good way to help the station. It keeps it going. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Kim asks if you can find your way to do it is to give her credit card numbers ahead of time so that as soon as the auction closes, Kim starts putting addresses on the boxes and charging out to, um, to credit cards. They've also got a PayPal account, so... If you give them your PayPal email address, they can charge your PayPal account through that. You can fax your credit card number to 972-889-2-FAX. Good. Which is 2329. So it's 972-889-2-FAX, mm -hmm. which comes out to 972-889-2329. I had to go to my keypad to do that. <laughs> I real, I, you know, the, the, the words are easy to remember, but I can't dial them. I have no idea what they are. So um, it, it is easier and fast. it's faster for you to get your items and easier for Kim to send them to you if you send in a, uh, your credit card information ahead of time or your PayPal email address, and they can bill your PayPal account. Um, they are trustworthy people. When the auction is over, every shred of information that relates to people's accounts in any area are just shredded up and destroyed. So uh, you can choose. And if you're not comfortable doing that when you finish bidding, you can send a check and uh, 
when the check clears, then Kim will be able to send you a package. So it'll be a little bit later that you're getting your package if you are, are more comfortable doing it that way. But however you do it, show up on the 28th and uh, take a look at the items that are available for bid. Keep us tuned in for the entire day. It's going to take at least eight hours. And she'll put a list of them later today. She's going to try to get 30 lots up tonight. They won't be all complete. You know, be two columns, like a red or white and one, or blue and red and another. But she'll get something up. If you donate something and it's not up yet, don't fret. She generally combines items into a package. So she'll get it up there once she thinks there's the right item to mix and match. Mm-hmm. And just keep that in mind. There we go. And there we go. Mm-hmm. On package number two. I sure do. All right. We've got Lumen Abner, which is getting increasingly difficult to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, two DVDs of Lum and Abner. One has 919 shows. The other has 689 shows. That's a lot of Lum and Abner. Mm-hmm. Have a DVD with the Great Gildersleeve, 513 shows. That's practically the whole run. Yeah. Uh, it it probably is pretty close. Yeah, that's what I um, think. It it certainly isn't all the shows that were done, but it's pretty close to what's available. Right. And we're still getting some that are surfacing uh, in the later years. Mm-hmm. They were sparse. Um, I don't have a whole lot from the later years, but um, I think I've got what's available. So information, please. A DVD with 218 shows. Superman. Now, Superman had episodes that were 15-minute episodes and also had half-hour shows. So the combination of shows and episodes, there are 1,059 files on that DVD. Nice. Agatha Christie, whoever loves Agatha Christie as I love Agatha Christie, a DVD with 65 complete audio mysteries. Now, are these like one episode or do you like a series? No, these are individual mysteries. Ah, okay. They're, they're audio books, uh, as close to audio books as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are several hours. Others are 30 to 60 minutes. Got it. There are 65 complete audio mysteries there. Um, Gene Shepard, talk show, DVD with 270 shows. There are people who absolutely adore Gene Shepard, and we now have Gene Shepard shows. World War II era music DVD. We've got Jubilee with 117 shows. Now that is a fabulous collection. Yes. Um, Jubilee was primarily jazz, correct? And it had every imaginable performer and jazz musician in the world who performed on that show, and they were just so upbeat and so happy, and it was just a grand series of music shows to to listen to. Mm-hmm. So we have World War II music at our 306 songs. War effort songs, popular music, um, really great stuff, and the WPA Depression orchestras. I found 31 symphony orchestra performances. So oh. we've got World War II era DVD with music on it. Wow. And we have 138 Sherlock Holmes shows on a DVD, and this is the collection that has some of the worst shows you have ever heard (laughs) DVD, and they 
really are. Some of them are wonderful. And we get into the CDs with Phil Harris and Alice Faye, which are not available anywhere. And I got them before they're unavailable. I pulled Bob Bailey, yours truly, Johnny Dollar Bob Bailey shows. There are 148, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, all the sound is acceptable to good. Red Skelton, 64 CDs, are a CD with 64 shows. Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, 34 shows. Those are fairly big files. Mm-hmm. Abbott and Costello, 59 shows. Easy Aces, 237. Sam Spade, 67. Broadway is My Beat, 62. Two series of Lux Radio Theaters, 50 shows each. Escape, 112 shows. X-1. Space Patrol, and Carlton E. Morse shows. I love adventure, 30 complete half-hour shows. And I love a mystery, four complete series. Nice. Hop Along Cassidy. The Frontier shows, Frontier Gentleman, Frontier Town, and Frontier Fighter mm. are on there. And Quiet Please, 91 shows. So that's a second collection. That's worth some bids. Mm. Yes? And by the way, these are these are all packaged with some nice inserts. I obviously I could not print out the covers of all of the shows, um, you know, any logos or right. or pictures. So the inserts have the Yesterday USA logo, whether it's a CD or a DVD, what the show is, and how many shows. So it really looks kind of cute. So if you want to hang on to them for stocking stuffers, you can do that. They're good for stocking stuffers wow. under the Christmas tree. They really look kind of cute, and they're in all different colors, you know, red, green, bright yellow. It's got a, oh, festive, a, festive, a festive feel about it. Oh, it's, I mean, I should have been an exterior decorator. <laughs> <laughs> so that's collection number two. So talk to me for a minute. 714 714-545-2071 is our number. You can give us a call if you want to ask Patricia a question. You're welcome to. Uh, if not, you all will be good. Um, Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, just in case you haven't put that on your schedule. <laughs> you know, you might might want to remember that. You know, it's time to go out and get that turkey. And Christmas Eve and Christmas night, Patricia will be with me, you know. Uh, so... Hopefully in the next week or so I'll figure out what time will come on the air Christmas Eve, and then we'll be on uh, Christmas night. So we should be having. We're a working lot of on time. a couple of little surprises for yeah. listeners this year, and we're not going to tell you anything. And Just John, surprise you. And John Provost will be our special guest in two weeks. So if you want to hear about Lassie the Wonder Dog, we'll have a good time with 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 Timmy. Going to be good stuff. Yeah. I still have some questions outstanding. I still have Nolan Kenner to thank for the thoughts about, <laughs> because I had sent him a couple of really terrible shows. I think I started with Zorro, which have got to be in the top ten of all-time awful. Although I found some pretty, pretty really bad shows, so maybe Zorro wasn't so bad after all. But he suggested that we put together the really bad shows and put them in the auction. So that's that's how that got in there. And in return, I promised him a DVD with the awful show. So I hope he calls in tonight because that means I'm going to be returning his envelope. 
And I think this is going to keep going because I got an, a, a large envelope from Bobby Brzee. Yes. And those stamps aren't canceled either. <laughs> as long as we mail in large envelopes, this is good. This is very good. Unfortunately, Maybe. she has very big writing, so she made big writing all over the envelope. Yeah. So I'll have to turn it over and put an address on the back of it. Maybe we found a secret. Uh, yeah, right. Send in big envelopes. Yeah. Okay, so um, I asked Ralph this one, so I'm going to have to cross this one out. The, um, the pilgrims did not serve potatoes because they were thought to be poisonous. Well, we need to find out what state declared Thanksgiving first. Well, that's um, coming down to that one. You are right. I need to know which state claims to have had the first Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I need the name of one president who could trace his ancestry back to the Mayflower, or the Pilgrims, not the Mayflower. You're not mm -hmm. related to the boat. You're related to the people who were that's on right. the boat. Yeah. Um, so I think those those are my big ones. Name a president whose relatives or ancestors came over on the Mayflower, and which state claims to have had the first official Thanksgiving? This is good. That's good. 714-545-2071. Nobody called in with answers to our Fibber McGee and Molly question for tonight. I guess they're just hunkered down, beating off the snowstorm. Uh-huh. Or they didn't listen. They went and got mm -hmm. a snack while mm -hmm. Fibber was mm -hmm. on. Could it happen? It could happen. So are you interested in where the first Thanksgiving happened? Yeah. Can I guess? Can, can, let me guess, huh? Sure. Why not Massachusetts? Well, because they were a year late, or actually two years late. So, okay. so, where where was the first Thanksgiving? Well, how about Virginia? That is exactly right. Ah. It was where the Berkeley Plantation is right now, and I believe that was the home of Benjamin Harrison. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. 1619. December 4th, 1619, the first Thanksgiving occurred when Captain John Woodleaf led the newly arrived English colonists to a grassy slope along the James River and instructed them to drop to their knees and pray in thanks for the, their safe arrival. Wow. It was December 4th, 1619, and it was, we ordain that the day of our ship's arrival at the place assigned for plantation in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God, and they had their Thanksgiving meal. That's amazing. So it was December 4th, 1619, mm. and they've got some pretty pretty sturdy records to prove it. So they celebrate every year in, in uh, Virginia. They're, I mean, Virginia is such a history-rich state. It is so fabulous. Yeah, like eight presidents came from that state. So it's, No, it's... I know. And, of course, you know, we had the House of Burgess there. Mm -hmm. um, Patrick Henry gave his famous give me liberty or give me death speech there. Yeah. Um, and you've been there. I mean, it, it just yeah. is the center of our entire heritage. Very much so. So it's a fabulous state to visit. 
and I'm not even working for the Chamber of Commerce there. It really is a must-do state. In the Williamsburg area, Richmond, Virginia, um, anywhere along the uh, James River. Right. And I guess it's the York River as well? No? I don't know. What is the other river? I don't know. Now I have to go. (laughs) (laughs) I have to go look. But anyway, it is Virginia. That had the uh, the first Thanksgiving, even though we give the Pilgrims credit in 1691, or uh, 1621, rather. Um, it was Virginia, near the Jamestown settlement. Wow. Can, well, if you can, can I get her present? Oh, yeah. sure. How about William Hilton? How about not? Okay. I'm sorry. That's okay an interesting collection. Mm-hmm. George Washington? Nope. John Adams? He was one. Uh, James Madison? Nope. James Monroe? Nope. <laughs> We're going to go through all. I can do it all. Thomas Jefferson? No. Well, then I know, the, I know another one. John Quincy? John Quincy Adams. Yes, I was waiting for you to uh, to get there. Yeah, well, I can I can just, I I can name all the presents in a row. So that's yeah, that's just an unfair thing for me to do, I guess. Well, I you could go through the whole list. I could. All right, now here here is a surprise for me. George Bush and of course then George W. Bush can trace their ancestors back to the settlers from the Mayflower. How about that? Sarah Palin can, but she's not a president, but no. Sarah Palin can do that. Um, the others were Zachary Taylor, yep. Ulysses S. Grant, mm-hmm. James Garfield, and one of the more obvious, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Uh. Now, if he could, that meant Teddy Roosevelt could, huh? Maybe not. Well, it should. It should, because... But he wasn't on because, the well, because Teddy was his uncle. Yes. I mean, he was his... Uh, well, oh, wait. Well, well, Teddy Franklin's te- mother. Yeah, because well, she had Franklin Mary Eleanor, who, who was first cousin. Right. And uh, if it was, Teddy was, his, was her uncle, so I guess not. Yeah, well, if it, if it was Franklin's mother who could trace her heritage, yeah. that would not necessarily be attached to Teddy Roosevelt. Well, boy. As Teddy would say, boy. Bully. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I thought that was that's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight presidents can trace their, or could trace their heritage. That's pretty nice. To, uh, to the Bay Colony. Very nice. Plymouth Colony. So that, that's pretty cool. You want to go over lot number three? Oh, sure. Uh, Are you tired of hearing this stuff yet? No, I'm just amazed. Not a duplicate in any of these. I'm just Meaning, amazed. you know, a, one, two, and three, are, mm-hmm. and there's nothing duplicated in any of them. Okay, so here we go. Number three has Amos and Andy DVD with 288 shows, and I located seven Sam and Henry skits, mm. the show that... Um, I would ask for Pardon? Hollywood, I think, asked about those. Yes, yeah. and, and I owe him a CD on them. Oh, I think I emailed the uh, Sam and Henry ones to him. We've got The Lone Ranger, 
with 912 shows. All right, now here is a big one. We've got a, what I am calling a Jack Webb Bonanza. Mm -hmm. So this has um, this group number three has more CDs than the others because the Jack Webb group has five DVDs of Dragnet, 337 shows. As far as I know, those are the ones that have survived. If there are more out there, I don't know about them. Yeah. But then the CDs, we have Pat Novak for Hot. Pat Novak and Jeff Reagan, I did find some better quality shows, but not all of them could I replace. Mm -hmm. So there are some reasonably good quality and some that are okay. They're, they're all listenable. You can understand them, but they're hardly pristine. Mm -hmm. And then I have um, two Johnny Madero, a handful of Pete Kelly's Blues, and a few others. I've got nine shows on that CD, and those are shows that um, kind of get lost along the way. So that's a big Jack Webb collection. And we have Have Gun, Will Travel DVD with 107 shows. Um, um, uh -huh. Our Miss Brooks DVD with 99 shows. Those are pretty big files. Mm -hmm. A World War II DVD. Each lot has a World War II DVD. Mm -hmm. This one has D-Day speeches, fireside chats. This one has Tokyo Rose and a couple of others. So that's a, a pretty neat collection. And we get into the CDs, and we've got Burns and Allen, which you will not find out there any longer, at least for now. Mm -hmm. Bob and Ray, Red Skelton, Phil Harris and Alice Faye, Nero Wolf, Richard Diamond, Tales of the Texas Rangers, The Creaking Door, Quiz Kids, Dimension X, One Man's Family, Vintage Old Time Radio Ads, and uh, Show Themes, The Shadow, Wild Bill Hickok, The Green Hornet, Lux Radio Theater, and yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with 43 complete five-part shows. So that's a different set of Johnny Dollars with Bob Bailey. So those are pretty sizable collections. Wow, Patricia. No wonder it took you two weeks. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listening to them and, and making sure wow. to the best of my ability that what got through were quite acceptable yeah. in, in terms of audio. Uh, that, that took about as long as, um, as creating the collections, but I wanted to make sure that nothing was duplicated. Right. So, so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Good for you. Yeah. Well, what should what we do? What else? What do you want to do? It's really up to you. If Nolan Kenner isn't going to call and nobody else is calling us, ah, oh, gee. Oh, boy, Han. Should we play a show? We should play a show. Why not? We should play a show. Why, Why not? not? Well, you know, this is interesting. <laughs> Here we go. Are you ready to, to bail out? Are you Are you just... No, I'm, I, I, I'm not. I just need a... You know, I might want to do a little quick pick stop, and that's about it. Okay. Well, see, the thing is that for I've got some interesting information here on this show. This this next show that we're going to do right. is called Making Cologne, and it is from May 18th 
Did I say this right? Is it 45 or 48? 40, let me look at my notes here. 48. It is 48. Yeah. So, run it I, down. You bet. Right. Well, that's good. Well, Fibber is going to work. He's decided that he could make a cologne for men that is better than anything that's on the market. It's going to smell like baseball. <laughs> I swear. That's <laughs> <laughs> we can answer the phone first, and then I will give you my information. Oh, hello there. Well. You're awake. Yeah, no. I'm just... <laughs> okay, well, could you call back when you're awake? Yeah, might make it easier, Harwood. We'll be here for a while. <laughs> How are you? How about that? <laughs> How you doing? Well, I'm here. I as as. Oh, I would say I was wild, woolly, and full of fleas, but I don't know if I'm up to that today either. <laughs> so, um, what's happening in your neck of the woods? Can you, can, when, when we wake you up, we'll, we'll get you awake pretty soon, but when you're awake, would you tell us about Thanksgiving in your area of the country? Um, I guess it's just, well, I've always assumed it was about the same anywhere else, but I don't know that. Um, you know, usual dinner, and that's about it. I know when I was a kid and all, that was a big day to go hunting and things of that nature, and while they were getting a, uh, dinner ready. But uh, I don't have the energy for that anymore. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, um, just most of the dinner, and that's it. Is there uh, a food that was special to your family? Um, I don't know that anything really is. I mean, we just have the usual turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and stuff like that. And, That's a good um, then, you, then you want to go take a nap. <laughs> How about football? Was football a big thing? Not a chance. Um, a chance? No? No, I, 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 I just never cared anything about football, baseball, or any of the rest of them. Oh, boy, Howard, I just knew I liked you from the start. Well, I, I don't know, but... Um, I call them S-words. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're all S-words. They don't call uh, S-words. I'd rather watch paint than watch paint dry. <laughs> You know, that's that's going to be some real 
travel on candy. Uh, uh, You've you done candy from over 6,000 miles away. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's taken an indirect route. But this is going to be the yeah, event lot, of 2010. It's going to be an event. But anyway, that's what prompted me to ask because it was something, the Whorehound Candy was something that I had never heard of before, and you were surprised that I had never heard of it. So I wondered if there were other things in your area of the country that I, as a Yankee, would not have heard of. Yankee that I am. Have you ever had possum for Thanksgiving? No. Have you? No. Okay, there. <laughs> You uh, just wanted me to go, no. no. What else? Um, I, I just, I really, like I said, I don't think things are being odd, though. Well, no, no I, 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 if I said odd, I apologize for that. I meant, you know, something unusual that we would not likely find or that might have been special to your family or to your area. No, my family, I don't really, well... And I don't know if he had it. Well, he, had, he might have had it Thanksgiving. He didn't have anything else, but I had a cousin like raccoon pretty good. Raccoon? Yeah, but I, I never ate a coon. You mean? I've had, I've had squirrel and rabbit and deer and stuff like that, but yeah, never had a coon. But not for Thanksgiving. Not any time. No, I <laughs> meant rabbit and squirrel and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I've heard that, but I didn't. Yeah, but not for Thanksgiving. You did the no. regular turkey routine for Thanksgiving. Right. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay, did you hear any of these questions that I was giving people tonight? Uh, some of them while I was getting coffee started. Um, you know, the Thanksgiving stuff. And um, you had a favorite McGinn Molly question, but I didn't hear what it was. Oh, if I give you the questions, do you think you might be able to... Well, I don't know. Had... <laughs> All right, let me see what I can come up with here. The tax bill. The tax bill was the name of the show. And the questions were, Molly reminded Fibber that the house cost them $2. He was complaining about the tax bill. How did that happen, that they only paid $2 for the house? And the second oh, question yeah. was, Fibber told Molly that he played baseball when he was younger. What position did he play? And the third, you really had to be listening to the show for this one. At the end, Fibber said he was going to gather Gus's customers, his restaurant customers, and organize a PTA. For Fibber, what did the PTA stand for? So can you do any one of those three? No, I can't do any one of those. And obviously, I did not hear the show this morning, and I don't really remember it. Okay, well, the, the first two... Uh, were in other shows in the series, so it had a double chance at least of getting one of those two. Do you remember? Um, I, I'm tripping over my own words tonight. I apologize. At the beginning of Fibber McGee and Molly, at the beginning of the series, are you familiar with the earlier shows? Uh, some of them, yes. Okay. So in the early shows... How did they get the house? How did they get 79 Wistful Vista? My bad, I do not recall ever hearing I may have, but I don't recall it. Okay, we're going to cross that one off the list. Let me see what else we have here. <gasps> I've got so many pages open here. <laughs> I'm getting lost in my own. Ah, oh, there we go. Getting lost in my own stuff. 
Okay. Did you were you listening? Were you awake and listening when I asked who was the first president to officially proclaim a Thanksgiving Day? Was it George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, or Franklin Roosevelt? It's a, it's I don't know if I was listening or not. You were talking about the presidents and all, but you know, it's early in the morning for me. <laughs> it was quite a while ago. You're right. Officially, I would guess Roosevelt, but that's nothing but a guess. Okay. Well, we're going to have to give you an X on that one. Okay, that's all right. If, uh, you know, I don't have to get anything this morning. I'll guess up next time. <laughs> you know, you are so darn smart. I love giving you questions. You really are. It was George Washington, actually, um, in case, I don't know if you're even interested, but um, in 1789, he declared a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. A and it was an official proclamation. So uh, that was pretty cool. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Okay. Um, okay. My radio was broke, and I did. Hey, Harlan, were you the one asking for me college archer? Last week? I do what? Uh, uh, Meet Corliss Archer. Were you the one talking about Corliss Archer last week? No, it wasn't me. Okay. And at Waldo? Okay. Nope. I know who you're talking about, right. but I don't remember you. asking about her. Okay. It wasn't you. Okay. Well, gee, I was so proud no, of myself. I can't remember who asked about her. I found some shows, and they're not... Uh, there aren't an awful lot available, and I did find some, so I, I was hoping whoever... Well, it wasn't me, but, you know, it's a funny thing. And it struck me when she gave me her name. I had a pair of lamps, and a lady brought a lamp in here about a week ago, and uh, her name was Corliss. Really? Uh, I don't think I have or, ever... I've never met someone with that name. Well, I hadn't either, and uh, I was really curious where she got it, but I didn't ask her. You know, I think all these things later, why didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Or she could have told me it wasn't none of my business, but still. Okay. What do you, I know, it, it, it's kind of uncomfortable being in that kind of a position. Is she going to come back, do you think? Does she have to pick I something up? I have no off? idea, because, you know, she came back and got the lamp, so probably never see her again, but, um. Oh. You know, I just thought it was so odd, it struck me as soon as she said it, and. Uh, I thought of the radio show, but I didn't say anything. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, um, uh, all right, if she comes back, you tell her, somebody in Florida needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> you can blame it on me. <laughs> all right, what kind of shows do you like best? So I can pick a question here. Oh, for heaven's sake, I don't, I don't even have an answer. There's just so many. I think uh, I like pretty much most of everything you mentioned this morning. I'll leave it in the last little bit. I don't know about before that. All right. Who was George Fenneman? He was, was he an announcer on Dragnet? He was an announcer. Yes, he was an announcer on Dragnet. Yes. You had, was he on Dragnet? Yep, he was. Uh, I, and I guess he was other places too, but that one came to mind. Well, my gosh, I'm so glad Walden is here. I did not know. He, uh, George Fenneman was with Groucho Marx, but I didn't know that he was also with, um, uh -huh. with uh, Dragnet. Yep, he, he was the announcer who said uh, he did it both on radio and TV. You know, he was the one that did, you know, um, 
the, the, the places you hear, you know, the, the opening narration. Uh-huh. You know, the, what you see or what you hear, that whole narration, that was Joy Fairman. I never would have recognized his voice on that. That would not have meant anything to me. The only thing that I really remember for a fact is that, um, oh shoot, I'm drawing a blank. Um, uh, who played Joe Friday Cat? Now, this is stupid well, and uh, early. But when he would make the comment after an advertisement, when he was talking about, um, Fatima cigarettes, he would say, thank you, George Feniman. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing. That's right. Now I remember that. Oh, thank you, Harwood, and thank you, Walden. Boy, I learn something every week here. I never would have remembered that. You too. Then I, I wouldn't have, would, would have got the question if Walden hadn't been. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's why I, that's why I knew what Patricia was thinking. That's why I figured I better step in and said, oh, I right. I'm so glad you did. Yeah. Gee, Willikers. Okay, well, and you're right. Thank you, George Penniman. I remember that. Mm -hmm. I do remember that. Okay, what I owe Harwood um, is something that he said, save it for next week and never let me know what I could send him. So what can I send you? Yeah, and you know, I really haven't had time to even think about it, so I still have a question. Mm -hmm. I'm after, but... Um, I believe I would like to have some Lone Rangers. I don't really have any of those much, I don't think. I may have a few, but I'd have to do, I'd have to do some digging. We have Lone Rangers. I'd be happy to send them. Do you like Challenge of the Yukon as well? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, well, I owe you one from last oh, week. Would you like both of them? Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be fine. <laughs> Have you have you got all twenty nine hundred Lone Rangers? Um, not that many, no. <laughs> that many that have survived. I do have a fair number though. But I don't have that many. Yeah, you've got enough if you try listening straight through, you get kind of sick of it. If I had to listen straight through, I would need food before I got to the end. I mean a lot of food before I got to the end. Um there are quite a few. Where did I over 900 is what Patricia had on a DVD, I is think. That, is that what I said I yeah. had? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know that there are more out there. I just didn't have them. Mm -hmm. So... But you're not a pretty good then, ain't it? You're close to a third. Yeah, so that was pretty good? Oh, yeah. It sure is. Okay. But, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, TKO Blues, uh, mm -hmm. oh, heck, a couple of others you mentioned that he did, um, Right, Reagan, 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 um, those are both good, um, I just... Novak and Johnny Madero and Pete Kelly's Blues, yeah. Yeah, well, Johnny Madero, I really, I'd have to hear one, I don't really remember that. I think there are only two the left, is that true, Walden? Uh-huh. There are only two available, yeah. and those are the only two that I have. Correct. So, um, if, if you'd like them, just let me know. Well, I mean, I'll take your word for it, because I just, you know, I may remember them if I heard one, but right now, the name is the only thing that comes to mind. I just cannot remember the character. Yeah. Well, they, these are all the um, the Jack Webb put together in a oh. package with the Pat Novak and then and the Jeff Reagan and the Pete Kelly's Blues. So, so? But I, you know, I never did hear too many of Pete Kelly Blues. I, I didn't think there were very many of them, but 
There aren't. Three. For, ma for many years, I thought there was just... That's six. For many years, I just thought there was just the one. And then Patricia came up with five, this, uh, five or six of them, so I was surprised. Right. I was surprised. I think I have six. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. Let me see here. Unusual. Let me see. Jack Webb. Jack Webb. Pete Kelly's Blues. I got one, two, three, four, five. I've got five. I have five Pete Kelly's Blues. Two Johnny Madero and two really awful Jack Webb shows. <laughs> They're in my really awful file. Uh, and, uh, he had some real doozy, especially before he started driving. He had some kind of a comedy show thing. Yes, he did. It was the Jack Webb oh, show. Yeah. You are absolutely right. And he played Slim Slade in it. And those are the two that I have. As far as I know, there were only two available. Do you know of any more, Walden? Nope. Just those two. Just those two. But you, you had heard it before, Howard? Yes, I have. Uh, it's been a lot of years ago. and uh, You know, what I was hearing, what... Well, you know, it might even have been before that. It was more just a talk comedy thing, and he played some music. Mm-hmm. It had been before that one. Well, this one was 1946. Right. And as far as I know, that's as far back as they as they went. Walden, do you know of anything earlier than this one? Yeah, there was some. Nothing that's available. He was like a disc jockey kind of thing. Yeah. But this, but those are the only you're gonna hit find. Which, which, okay. Because they're done up in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, he went and got temporary work, and George Fenneman showed him around, showed him the rope, and that's why he never forgot. When so when he made it big, he always hired all the people that helped him out. Right. He's very loyal. When you were speaking of that. It's always baffled me. I never really cared much for Jimmy Durandy. Mm-hmm. But that line he had at the end of the show, I still wonder who was Mrs. Calabash. It was his, yes. it was his late wife. There, there are a couple of uh, different stories that go around, but the general consensus is that it, it, he was referring to his late wife. Yeah. Um, and he was saying goodnight to her wherever she was. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the line. I just never knew who in the heck she was. Yeah. Uh -huh. so, well, at least y'all answered something worthwhile this morning. <laughs> well, you taught me more than I taught you. Good stuff. It was interesting. I think Frank Perceiver told me that Jimmy Durante was lived in a very simple little house in Beverly Hills. Uh -huh. And every time he went over there, he was always eating cornflake. Cornflake? Yeah, so he, I was just, he had to get boxes and boxes of cornflake.
we've been knocking the damn net, but now I got another one. I think they bought too big a turkey to go in the fryer. I don't have a great big one, and that's an awful big looking turkey to go in there. But I guess I, if I have to, I'll we'll cut it in two and do each half, and then sew it back together. <laughs> All about sewing it back together. Is it frozen? Yeah, I'm afraid it is. When we got to get started on, I kept telling him we needed that turkey, and I just got it last night, and it's hard as a rock. Well, if it's still frozen, the butcher in the supermarket will cut it in half for you. But just while you're there, he'll just take it and saw it right in half and get it back to you. Well, he's the one bought it, and it's not in the grocery store no more, so... I guess we'll have to do the best we can with it, but um, anyway, I just don't think it's going to go in that basket. Now, we've had two fryers. The first one would have taken a 25-pound turkey. It's a, you know, a gas fryer, but we got a, an electric one a few weeks ago, and it's a whole lot smaller, but you can do it inside, and it's got a thermostat and all that stuff. And How big is the turkey? Um... It's right at 14 pounds, and the thing is supposed to take a 14-pound turkey. I think this one's 13 and a half, but it is just so wide across the breast. Um, yeah, I don't know you got a, going a fat... basket you in, because, you know, it's nowhere as near as big as the uh, gas fire, but my pot's gone, so I can't use it. So anyway, I guess we'll have to do the best we can. I have never had fried turkey, but people have said it's the best turkey they ever ate. What makes it it's, special? It's, it's very good and a whole lot quicker than baking it. Um, I think it's great. Does it stay moister? Does it have more flavor? What makes the difference? Well, to me it does. I think it's moister. Um, but you sure have to kind of stick to what they recommend with cooking time. It's not any problem going a little over, but you sure don't need to go under. Um, Whole turkeys cook faster than a breast does in frying it. So interesting. You, you oh, cook because whole the, turkeys. Yeah, it goes on the inside, huh? Yeah, you cook those about four minutes per pound, and the breasts are seven minutes per pound. But I tell you, friend of Barbara's, so, well, I guess it was the first year we got the gas fryer. It's years ago. Well, a friend of hers decided she wanted a fried turkey. One of our fried. Oh, yeah, we'd do it. So she got it ready. Came over here one night at 10 o'clock. Well, that's to fry that turkey. Well, I knew she was coming, so I got the thing hot so I could put it right in. And when she came in the door, I said, how much does this turkey weigh? Oh, it's 10 or 11 pounds. Okay, so I go put it in. I cook it the allotted amount of time. We take it out, cut into it. It's not done. So we put it back in about 30 minutes. Take it out, still not done. I said, Norma, I thought you said this turkey was 10 or 11 pounds. Oh, I don't know what it was. <laughs> and I know they tag turkeys with what they weigh, so you don't have to weigh them. But they shit already washed it and all this stuff. So there was no tag. And we like never got that thing cooked, but we kept putting it in until we got it done. And then she was complaining. She didn't like old fried turkeys. Well, I don't know who wouldn't like one, but it was her fault we had the problem. So what time did you get to eat? 
do what. What time did you finally have have food? What time did you eat? I really don't remember. I think it was close to 12 o'clock when she left, so we didn't eat. We just fried it for her. Oh, oh. She brought that thing over here on set at 10 o'clock one night, forced to cook it for her. And this wasn't Thanksgiving Day, obviously. So <laughs> the Tuesday or Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I think. Well, you're a good soul. That was We're a very kind thing to do. You know, it really irritated me that she came up with a dumb statement like that, not even knowing, but it was so important. Yeah. Uh, to, to cook it. Uh, and, well, frankly, I, well, you know, those little things that popped up, I don't know, but you still, when you put one in the oven, even you kind of want to know what it weighs. Sure. Oh, wow. But that means you can't do stuffing. You can't stuff the turkey. You have to have... Oh, uh, no, you can't do that. You have to have uh, that on the side. You have to do that separately. But I don't mind. I mean, that's fine on me. No, I really do like them. Well, I hope you have a wonderful turkey day and that you save us some of this bird. It sounds great. Okay, I know. Assuming you get it defrosted in time. It's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You've got four and a half days to do this. Yeah, we'll get it done. I just <laughs> wish you'd have got it sooner, but still just check it in the fridge in a day or two or two days. It should be pretty well defrosted by the end of two days. No, it isn't either because I had to defrost the one we cooked because I had it a while in the freezer. But our refrigerators are very cold. It's just right above freezing. I, when uh, I only, yeah, okay. When I want it cold, I want it cold. And when it's supposed to be hot, I want it hot. So I deal with refrigerator thermostats quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Try to get them as near freezing as I can to keep them from getting solid, but you still have a place or two that yeah. things want to freeze. But yeah, that doesn't give you a lot of room to defrost. You're right. It uh, it was in there, I bet you, a week, and it was only partially defrost. We finally had to put it in the sink of water. Oh, gee. For part of a day, and uh, that, that finished it up, so I might have to do that with this one. No, this is, this is supposed to be a day of fun and celebration and having good food. You shouldn't have to have this kind of a challenge to get food on the table. Well, it's all right. We'll, we'll get it thought out and ready to go. I thought we are just going to wait till Thursday morning to cook the turkey because, you know, it doesn't take all that long. Um, let's see, a 14-pound turkey. You said four minutes a but, pound. You just blew me away here. It's about 56 minutes, so... Even if you allow a few minutes, it's it's still pretty quick. And how? I mean, in the oven, it's 20 to 30 minutes a pound. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that's a lot of time. I'll just let him cooking, but... What are we having with it? Still, just saying, try. I really don't know. I think somebody's bringing green beans, and Bomber usually fixes a, a um, sweet potato or something. And stuff, and of course, and I, I really don't know what else. I haven't even asked. I'm not having anything to do with that. I'm just cooking the turkey. <laughs> You're the turkey. <laughs> You're the important. turkey this year. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day and um, that this bird cooperates and does, does a good thing in the pot. He will, whether he wants to or not. <laughs> You'll get him. <laughs>
this is good. Okay, I'll get some Lone Ranger and some Challenge of the Yukon out to you. Unless you want to trade one of them in for the Jack Webb shows. Your choice. I'll get the Jack Webb later. Um, okay. I'm still trying to decide, did, did I ever get a Silver McGee and Molly CD from you? I've got some on tape that I recorded a long time ago. I, I can't don't. remember if I got a CD from you, and I don't have them too well organized, I'm sorry to say. I, I do not know. Hold on. Let me see if I wrote it down here. Doi, 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 doi. I try to keep a list of what I send to well, people. Well, you know, all of them are in one area. I just don't have them in a folder thing very well, and I got to get that. Yeah. I did send you some fibber, but I have so many, I'm not sure what year I would have sent. Well, I don't know either at this point. Um, and I think you said... Always like those. And you've got the Andy. Um, if, if you can locate what I said, and I should have written this down, if you can tell me one, just one of the dates that I sent you, I'll know which section I sent you and I can send you others. Yeah, but I don't know where they show a date. <laughs> Well, if you don't know where they are, how about I just send you new ones, and if they happen to overlap, I'll replace them. You didn't understand me. I don't know where it ever says a date in the show. Oh, it said it's um when it comes up when you play it. Mm -hmm. It. How, how do you play them? When you put them on the computer, what program plays them? Wait, it's it, the uh, Windows. Um, a Winamp. Yeah. yeah. When you put it, when you put the CD in, uh, and, and when you cursor it, when you arrow up and down, it'll be off the date to you. Okay. Okay. I'm not doing too well with that darn thing, and when I, I have, I try to, you know, we've been playing, um, um, I'm at Brooks on Sunday morning a lot, uh -huh. and you know you can't get but a few of them, and then when you go back to try to find your place, um. I just, I don't know that much about what I'm doing on Windows Media Player, and I just have to um, keep going to the, the next show until I find the right one. Uh -huh. And it's aggravating the life out of me, and there's got to be an easier way of doing this, but I just have to figure out what it is. You can, I, I don't know how you would do it on your computer, but you can change the name of the show. You can make adjustments or edit the name of the show. And I just put an X in the front of the ones that I've listened to, and they automatically drop to the bottom of the list. That, oh, but you're taking it off the CD. You're playing it right off the CD? Right, exactly. Oh, no, you can't change the name then. I don't know how to get them on the computer for one thing. Uh, I haven't ever really messed with, with Windows Media Player much, and that's why I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Oh, wow. Um, I, maybe Walden could help you figure out a way to transfer them. When I transfer yeah, from I'm, a CD to my computer, I just click on the show, hold the cursor down, and drag it right over to the desktop. I just drag it off the CD, and it copies right onto my desktop. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning how to do that part two, Howard, so uh, eventually once I figure that out, I'll let you know. But it's a matter of using Windows Media and doing a couple of steps, but I haven't figured all that out yet. Well, anything you can offer is better than what I got. I sure don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> when I email a show to you or a song, 
how do you play it then? I just put it in the computer and it'll automatically start. You know, obviously they. When you say you put it in the computer, how do you transfer from email to the computer? Well, when, when, uh, Lisa Mann, when you put it in the tray and close it, you give it about 30 seconds and the thing will automatically start. Oh, okay. And then when you go to the next one or whatever, you have to let it play through or go to the menu and, um, and do, um, next or previous or, uh -huh. pause, play, whatever you pick. Um, um. I just have to keep advancing it right there. Uh, next one, once I see I've heard it, I, I just go to the next one, and, and then the menu drops back to the previous point. So you have to go back to it again, okay. and advance I, I, it again, and I, then over and over and over, and after you've got... I found my notes. If you're going to use Windows Media Player, click on that, tab over to the RIP part. Okay. Press spacebar. Then you use the application key, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, I know uh, where it is. Okay. Hit that, then arrow to rip. Then hit enter. And then that'll start transferring your file from your CD into your computer. Can you type that out in an email and send it to him? Well, it would probably help this early. Uh -huh. I will do that. Yeah, I got most of what you said, but that don't mean it. Yeah, I will I know, tomorrow. I, I, just, I understand. I just, I just saw my notes. So, we'll do that. I would appreciate it. No I really would. And one of these days, I'm going to figure out how to, you know, take files from one CD and make up your own that right. you want. Right. So, if you've got any well, idea how to do that. Uh, well, what I'm doing right now, I'm moving all my stuff to an external hard drive. And then once I... Uh, um, I think you basically get cut and paste. Okay. And I'm learning, right. and I'm learning, I haven't learned the part how to make a CD yet. So once I have my notes for that, I'll, I'll let you know how, how, how that's going to work out. But it's, having to, to paste each thing individually to the other drive. Right. That's, or if you use the L key, you can take a bunch at one time. Like when you, um, under highlight it. When you hit the, hit the uh, shift key, it highlights, and then you hit the control X, and then that cuts to all of them at one time. Then move, then move to the area that you want, and hit control V, and it drops them all in. Yeah, I, I understand the, the cut and, and paste. Right. And selecting, but, uh, oh, well, whatever you can offer in that email, I would appreciate it. No problem. <clears throat> All right, y'all have fun, and um, don't kill too many turkeys. <laughs> okay, happy Thanksgiving, Harwood. Thanks for calling. Same to y'all. Talk to you again. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, see, if everybody got Max, life would be so much simpler. Huh? Seven, one, four. Five, four, five. 2071. That's from a devoted Mac person. That's from a devoted Mac person. Yeah. That's good. I know it. That's good. I know it. I know. I know it. Yeah. So 
I had so much stuff tonight. I mean, really, so much stuff. And now I have stuff for another show. What stuff it through? Well, all right. We started to do this. Fibber is making cologne. May 18th, 1948. Mm -hmm. He thinks that he can come up with a cologne for men that's better than anything else on the market. And he mentioned Richard Hudnut. Is that a name you recognize? Yes, I do. It's, it's a, uh, it was a bobby pants. Um, it was a Richard Hudnut product. It, it, Richard Hudnut had um, perfume and... Uh, I'm going to print something out here. It, it was a woman's perfume, mm -hmm. scents, uh, all, all sorts of women's products, mm -hmm. um, sachets, things that you put in your drawer, anything that smelled pretty was a Richard Hudnut, <laughs> uh, a potential product for Richard Hudnut. Uh -huh. And I'm printing out an ad here on the... It eventually will come off the printer. But he, he talked about Richard Hudnut not, not, being, not, not being overnight, that it took him a while to develop his line. Well, it was, he was born in 1862, died in 1928. But what he did between then, those two spaces, was just incredible. He, it identifies him as the first American to make a fortune in perfume. Which is really cool. Yeah. But the ad that I'm looking at, he actually sent perfumes, perfume tablets, 12 perfume tablets, which were very expensive, in exchange for 50 cents worth of postage stamps or a, m a money order that you got from the post office. And they came in fragrances from, let's see, fresh bouquet, you can do this, you know, put them in your drawer, put them in your closet to make everything smell pretty. Uh, you had a choice of imperial violets, sweet verbena, whatever that is, jack roses, white hyacinths, carnations. It just went on and on and on. But what I dug up about Richard Hudnut was so cool. His stepdaughter married Rudolph Valentino. No kidding. No kidding. Mm. Let me see what else I've got here. Okay, Hudnut, Valentino. Oh, okay, Valentino had that wedding. <clears throat> Rudolph Valentino married Natasha Rambova. Now, her, her birth name was Winifred Hudnut. Now, that's a big difference. <laughs> but her stage name was Natasha Rambova. Married... Rudolph Valentino and the big whoop, they were only married about three years and they divorced very shortly before he died at age 31. Did you know he was only 31 years old? I know he died very young. I think he died in like 1926 or something. Uh, it was 1926, yes. Yeah. He died of a ruptured appendix. He yeah. had uh, peritonitis, his, his appendix ruptured. Wow. But anyway, they were only married for three years. But the big boo-ha-ha that happened was that he married Winifred Hudnut before his divorce was final from his previous wife. Ah. So it, it, they, act, they had to get married twice. Uh -huh. So some places say 1922 they got married, other places say 1923 they got married. But I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Richard Hudnut was a highly successful 
individual in the perfume and ladies' products. Mm -hmm. Richard Hudnut's business was acquired by W.R. Warner and Company mm -hmm. in 1955, which became Warner Lambert Pharmaceuticals, which is a more familiar name, mm -hmm. which was acquired by Park Davis in 1970, which in turn was merged into Pfizer. So the Pfizer drug company is actually the... Um, I don't think Richard had not products are not made any longer, but that was the sequence of events. But I thought it was pretty cool that Rudolph Valentino was um, attached to Richard Hudnut. Very nice. Amen. Really? No? Fibber is making cologne tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and that just kind of buzzed me when I heard Richard Hudnut. I went digging around for information, and that's what I found. So um, Patricia did a lot of digging this week. She does up and beyond the call of duty. Patricia has to earn a living next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we will have to go a little bit easy on the research next week, but uh, it was fun this week. We really had a good time. So, anyway, here we are. We're getting ready to play our second show, and uh, that means that we get to say good night to everybody and happy Thanksgiving, and please be safe and healthy and be with us tomorrow, or it's Sunday, I won't say tomorrow, be with us on Sunday mm -hmm. at about 8.30 Eastern Time to get a sneak peek at what will be available in the auction the following Sunday, one week from the preview. The auction will be November 28th, begins at 3.30, usually takes a half an hour to get cranked up, so about 4 o'clock. Tune in, listen to what is being described, decide if it's something you want to bid on, and you can call in your bid, 99, help me here, now, 99, nope, 972, 889-8255. Yep. That's one number, you and 972-889-BODE. All three will be available. Talk, we go. Bill, and You can call in a bid or use your password. If you've made a contribution to Yesterday USA, you have a password that will get you into the chat room via the website. It's in the members-only area. And um, you can join us in the chat room and listen to what's being described and type in your bid in the